My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Rockin' Randall the King, Randall the Despot, and today uh, we are here to discuss perhaps one of the most iconic Stephen King adaptations uh, to come out. Uh, There was Carrie, there was The Shining, there was The Dead Zone, and then there was 2006's Desperation. Um... So we've recorded multiple episodes on the book Desperation and the miniseries, or um, I'm sorry, the it's it's mirror book, The Regulators. And uh, so I guess this is sort of the cherry on top of this whole discourse, which I think is going to be a fun a fun one. But uh, I have a a, um, a motley crew here with me to discuss it. Some from the books, and we got a fresh face here. Um, we're going to start with that fresh face. And since you weren't on the book episodes. Uh, tell us what you think of Desperation, your general reaction to the book, uh, sort of your capsule review. Um, mm. Say hello, Justin. Hey, this is Justin or the Unformed Heart Gerber, and <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here talking to three of you today about not one of my favorite uh, Stephen King adaptations, <laughs> nor one of my favorite Stephen King novels, uh, <laughs> that is Desperation. And yeah, I, I read along with the three of you while you were releasing the episodes on Re- Desperation and Regulators, and... I would text Randall occasionally about things I wasn't digging, uh, digging per se. Uh, let's keep it with the China pit. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a comfort and maybe even cathartic to be able to discuss why I didn't like this particular film with the three of you today, as opposed to screaming at myself uh, as I was doing yesterday. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so for desperation, I think desperation in the book. I, I'm sure this echoes the rest of you. I think it starts off really strong and suspenseful, and then you realize there's 300 pages left. <laughs> and uh, then it starts to wane to some themes that I don't think they really deliver on very well, especially with religion and, and the character of David. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm already laughing about some of the stuff for this movie. <laughs> but uh, not a big fan of, of Desperation, but then I read The Regulators. <laughs> and, and, I've, and I've had some distance. Here's the, the fun thing about The Regulators, and Marie's laughing, but it's true. Um, it's it's a great re- it's a great uh, reaction. <laughs> Is that I knew nothing about the regulars going into it, and it's one of the rare King books I've really gone into recent years not knowing anything. Mm-hmm. And so I was excited. I was excited for it, and I would I've had some distance. It's been a few weeks. I do think it's probably bottom three, bottom five King. <laughs> yeah, I think it's that bad. Yeah, so, there we are. Yeah. On that. Yeah. Um, was this your first time seeing the Desperation miniseries? It was. I put it off for about 15 years. <laughs> and um, It is th- the 15th was, anniversary. It is. Happy 15th anniversary. I think, I think that's when you take the cake out of the fridge. Um, <laughs> I think... And I, we'll get into this later on, but you know, I'm a pretty, I was a pretty big Mick Garris defender uh, in the 90s especially. And I was still watching all those Stephen King miniseries as they came out, especially through the 90s. But this is definitely around the time where I was kind of... Uh, keeping a closer eye on what were the, the critics and the fans saying. Mm. And the critics and the fans weren't uh, big fans of this adaptation, so I kind of just decided to stay away. I can't remember what came out in 2006, but I, I wasn't watching Desperation. Yeah, I think I was listening yeah. to Block Party or something. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Anna Marie, say hi and uh, tell us, um, was this your first time seeing the Desperation miniseries? Uh, this is Anna Marie Kanto Me Cox. Ah. <laughs> and this was my first time seeing it. I don't know what I was doing in 2006 either that I missed this. Um, I, I think I might have been covering a congressional campaign, which gives me some kind of excuse. Um, uh, and yeah, this was bad. Um, (laughs) it was real bad. Uh, as those of you who are on the desperation book episodes know, I actually love desperation, the book, like it's Mm -hmm. my favorite Stephen King book. That's not in like the, you know, upper echelons, upper echelon. It's like my favorite middle. It's my favorite middling King. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In part because, you know, it has like all those, it has, what seems to me uh, some some pretty good handling of religious themes, mm. and you know, as we mm-hmm. talked about on the, on, the, on that episode, some themes about recovery that really resonate with me. And uh, this does not have that. <laughs> yeah, no room for it. Well, it mm. has like the to the extent it deals with religion, it is like the most ham fisted. Yeah. Like it almost seems like. One of those like Christian movies, like a. Mm-hmm. It, also, the production values are about the level of like whatever. <laughs> I can't. I can't think of the Christian channel, a Christian broadcasting network. I guess um, you know. Only thing is missing is Kirk Cameron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kirk Cameron is Kali and Trigi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I'm sure he would play. Probably he would play Steve. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I'm just laughing thinking about it. I love. I love Kirk Cameron so much. Uh, yeah, it is. It's just the, the, it was really interesting to me what they left out and what they kept in. That's always interesting, mm-hmm. especially when King is involved in the adaptation. The stuff that he clearly thinks is important, like. Yeah. doesn't always strike me as a reader as important. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of things, like count on one hand. Actually, literally, there were two things I'm I'm going to talk about that I think the, they actually did better than the book. Nice. Mm. Um, but wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> I kept thinking, like, this seems like community theater, if yeah. not like a mm. Christian broadcasting network. Like yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts on the like when you mentioned the Christian movie aspect and and the handling of the religious themes because it actually ties into a lot of my criticisms of the stand as well, which McCarris directed. Um, but we'll get to that shortly. Uh, Dan, say hello. And was this your first time seeing the uh, the Desperation miniseries? Hey, this is Dan. Yuppies killed Princess Di Fleeger. <laughs> um, I just love the idea, too, of, like, authority figures embracing the royal family, which we've been seeing lately. Like, the right wing seems to love the monarchy all of a sudden. Thought we fought well, of course, free, I mean, but anyway. No, of course the right wing loves the monarchy. I mean. Yeah, I know. And Lana Del Rey. And Lana Del Rey. Yeah. But, uh, no, I actually watched this live as it came out. This no was the shit. May 2006 when I was graduating college. I think I had read the book back-to-back a year before. Mm. So it was still fresh in my mind when I watched it, and I went in pretty excited. I'd been let down by a lot of Stephen <laughs> King miniseries in the past, so, you know, tempered my expectations. I really think this movie opens well, just like the book, but then, man, I lost interest so quickly. And I love Ron Perlman. You know, I love the idea of watching him expand and pop and, you know, scab up and bleed. 
Oh, man. Though. I, I, I remember it, I was reading it was competing against American Idol, yeah. which is a show I normally would never watch. And I wonder at the time if I was like, maybe switch over and see what's on something else. <laughs> um, so it was fun to revisit it. I don't know why you avoided it for 15 years, Justin. You got to be a glutton for punishment sometimes. Yeah, that's why I, I watch uh, American Idol. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, I did not see it either. I when it aired, I I was in college at the time, and I think I just was too busy, you know, reading James Joyce and thinking I was smarter than King at the time. But uh, but mm. I'm glad I've revisited it on its iconic 15th anniversary. Uh, for this podcast and um, yeah some history on the Desperation miniseries uh, it premiered on May 26 2006 on ABC shot in Arizona for 12 million dollars uh, it was produced in 2004 not released until 2006 there's kind of a lot of um, it sounds it sounds like it was a pretty troubled process uh, specifically there was they were shooting in the Tucson Convention Center and it caught fire Five people were injured. The fire destroyed everything on the set, including all the production gear and the equipment. Wow. And the te- Tucson Convention Center was heavily damaged. So, um, and um, that that report was confirmed uh, when I was doing some research in the uh, various publications, including the Review of the New York Times. So it sounds like it was a bit of a mess. Um, and let's see here. It, re- it received moderately favorable reviews. I've got I've got some quotes pulled. Uh, and it was originally intended as a two-part miniseries, but it aired in its entirety on May 23rd, 2006. And yeah, uh, Flieger, you were correct in that it aired opposite uh, American Idol, which was at the height of its... Um, of its popularity at the time. So King was apparently very vocal about how mad he was that it, they put it up against American Idol. Cause he, you know, this was pre TiVo, I believe. And, uh, people couldn't, um, just tape it and watch it later. Like, you know, it was, it was event TV. Like, uh, the stand was like the shining miniseries was like a lot of those King things. There was just a lot less fanfare around it. I think the, the TV landscape changed in some ways. I think, uh, uh, it was shows like American Idol that were becoming the, um, you know, the uh, event viewing downfall of society. <laughs> but yeah, I think sort of, um, you know, these sort of miniseries weren't uh, necessarily as popular at the time. Although TiVo, we're about to, we're sorry, gonna... I wanted to just tell you that TiVo came out in like '99. <laughs> Did it really? Yeah, yeah. I never I, had TiVo. I remember actually, I was working, I was working at a dot com. Um, and so, actually, there's really no excuse for this not doing better. I would say. Interesting. Ooh, I will only just tape one thing, right? No, that so was the whole it thing. Was American Idol. No, that was the whole thing. I thought about you could only Tivo tape one could... and watch something. No, the whole thing with TiVo was that you could tape something else while you watch something else. Yeah, huh. DVR you could right, do multiple things, but TiVo I think was the limited one. Yeah, tape one, watch one. I thought it was. Yeah. Interesting. So I only had one briefly. Well, I uh, yeah. Well, I'll just say my family did not have TiVo, so therefore nobody else had TiVo. Is my <laughs> yeah, as far as you know. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so maybe it wasn't uh, American <laughs> Idol's fault, Mr. King. Maybe it was something else about this. Uh, apparently, there was some other stuff behind the scenes too. I'm not. Sh- I, I tried to find more confirmation of this, but uh, I, I I found this article in Screen Rant that was sort of digging into it. And Screen Rant certainly not the most trusted publication, but no. they they say that uh, Garris uh, apparently had some deal. Uh, that when he was going to do these King 
sort of projects, he didn't want to be typecast as a King director. So he and King required that any studio who wanted to make Desperation Alt would also agree to produce an original Garrus movie, but no studio bid on that deal. Uh, and that's how Desperation ended up at ABC. It was supposed to be a movie. King had written it as a feature film. And, you know, the whole thing clocks in at about two hours, um, mm-hmm. roughly two hours. So, you know, I don't think they really changed it much for TV. Apparently, Garrus didn't want to lengthen the script which, you know, I don't know, I think they could have. Uh, There's a lot of story here that's not here. Um, And so it aired in a single three-hour time slot uh, on one night, and... um yeah, probably not the best thing, because I think the thing with those miniseries, too, was, you know, it was like a whole week, you know, you watched uh, The Stand over multiple days. It was a fun time. So there was that. And um, uh, yeah, let's talk about some of the reviews. It was actually it has a 46 on Metacritic, which isn't great, but it does have <laughs> <No>. some <laughs> but it does have some very, very, very good reviews, including from The New York Times, who was oh. positively uh ecstatic over this like i'm like did stephen king write this uh so just some quotes from it mr king has now adapted desperation his 1996 novel for television and stephen king's desperation as it aired will have its premiere tonight on abc it's king done right mick garris who has directed six films or television movies based on mr king's work brings to the semi-vexed project and they mention a set collapse during the shooting injuring five people uh steady nerves the plot crammed movie is genuinely transfixing as mr garris and mr king again tap the master's inexhaustible magic hat of scattershot iconography wolves wounds mine shafts abandoned rvs ghostly children sunburned cops bleeding slot machines that bleeding slot machine man what the we'll fuck? talk about that uh, the movie's tone, too, lurches in Mr. King's wonderfully off-balance way. First, it's horrifying madcap, then mournful, then glib, then straight screaming. Originally optioned as a feature, the story is a thorough sensory and emotional pounding, even on a small screen. It also sustains attention for its full three hours. So, um, Was that attributed to Richard Bachman? <laughs> yeah. uh, from the grave. Uh <laughs> And then the New York Post also liked it. They said, if there's one thing I love in a movie, it's a sadistic sheriff. I also love wild dogs, feral cats, and hungry vultures. And this movie has them all. So if that's your barometer. Um, And then the Washington Post, man, they just went scorched earth on this thing. Really hated it. And I actually really hate the review because it's really smug. But um, I got to say, in terms of my reaction, I think I'm more Washington Post than New York Times here. But uh, so... This this author of this uh, review clearly hates Stephen King. So uh, Stephen King is so emphatically the proverbial 800 pound gorilla that production companies are obliged not merely to place his name above that of a TV movie, but also to include it as a part of the title. The latest example of this presents a veritable I dare you to critics who shun King generally and particularly those who find his latest exercise in ho-hum horror to be exceptionally exorable. Uh, Stephen King's desperation. Hmm. What to make of that? A rare case of truth in labeling a suggestion that even mr megabucks is tiring of his own work and recognizes that redundancy riddles it like rigor mortis whatever stephen king's desperation is showing on abc tonight and stephen king's desperation is showing too even more than it did in kingdom hospital the fast folding flop king cooked up for abc in 2004 we'll get there probably next year obviously this is not proper fare for children and yet as he has so many times in the past king makes a child one of his central characters thus irresistible responsibly encouraging curious kids to watch some good alliterations who wrote this yeah that's terrible Uh, his last name is Shales uh, John Tom Tom Shales Tom Shales yeah 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 I'm I'm not familiar he was was prickly he was a prickly writer 
But he writes like a away message, like whatever, yeah, obviously. Okay, and I have to add, I looked it up. The TV series two came out in 2002 and could record two shows at the same time. Ah, awesome. well, so, there's no excuse. What else was on, what else on at the same time? Was uh, Desperate yeah, Housewives? So this was Desperate House. No, that was on ABC. So I don't know what was on. 24. No, that was. Uh, World, Cup, World Cup was going on. So you got to record those games. That's 2006. Right. Uh, and then really he also. <laughs> it's like, I'm the older person here. I need to make sure my memories are correct. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am now. Uh, and then he also mentions the actor Shane Habucha, who plays David, and he says Gesundheit after the kid's last oh name. Oh, my God. What a, I know. What an asshole. Yeah. I've got nothing but effusive praise for that, that actor. <laughs> How irresponsible, though, I will say, to have a child in a story, because that's just going to encourage children to watch it. No, right? When I read that, I was like, I was like, good God, good God, know, God like, dude. Kramer like, versus Kramer is like a key. I know. Like, that's it's like a Jabonet Ramsey story. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So those were, that was the, the general critical reception. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it's 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 interesting to see these reactions to it because um, they're so disparate because some of the, the people who love it really, really love it and the others don't. And this was a really sort of, I don't know, like, can you guys think of any iconic horror movies that were coming out in the early 2000s? Like, the state of horror, like, what was it generally like at that time? Uh, Saw. Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. remake. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of remakes, and it was a lot of, like, uh, also you know... space horror, like Event Horizon and Sunshine? Uh, Sunshine was around that time. Event yeah. Horizon was, like, 98? Oh. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that yeah. was. One of my faves. Um, <laughs> I do love that movie. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was just listening to a song about it, a tribute song. It was terrible, but it was just hilarious. That's funny. It was like a pop punk tribute to Event Horizon. Great ending. Great but ending. yeah, there's there's something almost sort of like uh, I mean, because Mick Garris, you know, he's really good at that. He feels of another of another era of horror. Yeah. Um, he I yeah. he's very much like creep show horror. He's like um, well, uh, he used to do uh, trailers for all those early '80s movies, like The Thing and The Howling mm-hmm. and all those Avco NBC movies. So. He kind of cut his teeth, maybe pun intended, um, during that time when all those people were kind of coming up, like Joe yeah. Dante and, and and King himself, you know? So he's, he's known these people forever. And right. I feel like, I don't know, I don't want to say it's an obligation, but I feel like it's kind of like a, hey, congratulations, kiddo. You, you worked from the ground up and now you get to direct all these all these movies. Yeah, there's this, uh, I call him Halloween superstore horror, you know, it's, it's, yeah. and that's, that's not to, that's not necessarily a dig because I just think that like King and a lot of the guys of, you know, of that era, they grew up on DC comics and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the shots in, in Garris stuff, you know, they're big and they're gaudy and, uh, they would, they would look really cool in sort of a comic box, I think, it, you know, and, and I, uh, I just like, looked so, up another, oh, go ahead, Anna. sorry, I just looked up another like 28 days and 28 days later. Is that oh, yeah. era? Yeah. And I feel like the, the that is also when you started to get kind of almost, I mean, there's prestige horror before, but mm-hmm. um, maybe you're getting kind of like social commentary horror in a very self-conscious way. And yeah. mm-hmm. this is not that. Right. <laughs> no. yeah. and I, I'm unaware. Say, <laughs> when Mick Garris, like, because he, I like the show Eli Roth's History of Horror. Yeah, that sounds good. And I think Mick Garris has a lot to contribute there. You know, he, he did come up through the 70s, 80s. He has a great... Uh, you know, knowledge base on that, but he just didn't quite make that transition to the modern day. Right. Um, you know, he's kind of an elder statesman. He's respected, but I don't think anyone is looking to him as a great filmmaker or horror master anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all it's that big gaudy makeup, you know, and it's uh, it's it's like elaborate sort of uh, tableaus, you know, of like these bodies with 
pencils and yet, in their eyes and feeling things like really that, you know? small in a way yeah. like it's a small story it's like a story mm-hmm. that had and again like i mean i don't when like when i say like 28 days later is you know self-consciously cultural commentary obviously like it's but it's still very good <laughs> like, yeah i love that movie you that's, know yeah. it that's has stuff to, to say it. but it's eloquently saying it um and it's even though this whatever cast is small like you're it, it is the ideas are really big and yeah. desperation the book has a lot of big ideas as well i agree but yeah. this it does. is a very small <laughs> movie. <laughs> like yeah, and it doesn't – It's it just – it doesn't have the space, but it also – there is really no effort to engage with the religious yeah. themes on the level they are in the book. Because as we discussed in our episodes, this isn't a book about Christianity. This is a book about, you know, higher powers, if right. you want to put it that yeah. way. And, uh, and relating those to personal experience and this idea of giving yourself over to a higher power, uh, especially when you wander into, you know, a battle between, if you want to say, two giant cosmic powers. Um, and this book kind of just dumbs it down to Christianity in a way. Like, uh, and that was always my my problem with The Stand as well in that there, there was this refusal in The Stand adaptation to engage with the more cynical view of society and the recreation of society. Um, you know, in the movie, the creation of you know the boulder free zone is very much depicted as sort of manifest destiny in a way and uh and this sort of like beautiful coming together and this rebuilding of society that is very rosy and and the way that you know boulder is depicted versus how vegas is depicted and then of course we saw that again in the the recent stan tv series where it's very uh you know picnics and sunshine versus uh orgies and dark casinos and And, sexual um, deviance which of course is sexual deviance yeah, exactly. And so a lot I of leather. Think, so, yeah, so I just think that that Garrus um, isn't really interested in exploring the more nuanced thing. Uh, God here is not like they, they sort of they play with the language like, you know, King puts the language in there about God being cruel. But we don't really get that too much in here. And we don't really peel back the layers of what that means in the course of here. We just have David, who is this dour uh, you know, child, uh, which we'll talk a lot more about the way that character is manifested because I truly believe it's like an impossible role for anyone to play. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, but it's essentially this God wills it. God wants us to do this. So we must do this. We are on the side of good. And there's really, and that's pretty much it. Like it, it refuses to engage with it beyond that simple concept that God is, is default good. And he wants us to fight tack in the way that he wants us to fight tack. And that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and I think a lot of that speaks to and we'll talk more about this later but you know johnny's transition his sort of moment of giving himself over to god which is already a really difficult thing that to manage in the book and we talked a lot about that but here it's like there's almost no space at all for Mm -hmm. him to make that completely changes his character like the change is like it's like a fake out it it, yeah it yeah that really made me mad yeah (laughs) Well, it's really strange because sort of, uh, and I I think we'll probably elaborate on this, but, you know, what they sort of use as the motivating incident in his transition is when he was in Vietnam, he sees a suicide bomber who was apparently possessed by TAC. Um, And that's not in the book. And it's really sloppy. Oh, and, he you runs, know, no, but and he runs away. Yeah, like, he runs okay, away. Okay, that's that was my question. I did not remember that from that's the book. Like, that's not right? in the book. No, and none of it is. No, it completely yeah. changes his character. It, it yep. entirely changes. Mm-hmm. Agree. Like who he yeah. is, and also what his I, reasons say, for choosing to support David would be. 
you know, like, I, go ahead. I, was, I don't think that the bomber was possessed. I think that was just him going back and forth between the present and the past. Because yeah. I think you also see at one point all of the different iterations of tech around the body. I, I think that that was just a, a reminder maybe of evil or something. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I will say the yeah. Wikipedia, I, I was trying to see that if I had if I had read it wrong. And um, when I looked on Wikipedia, I will say the Wikipedia entry says that the mad bomber was possessed by Tim. It makes no it sense. It sort of doesn't matter. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Really I know it really matters. doesn't. It's I know. so stupid. It makes no yeah. sense. I just it thought it was really funny. It doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a completely, it's a betrayal of the character on this level that's like, yeah. Agreed. It made me mad because like in the, yeah, what's cause... good about the Marinville character in the book is that he has some redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that one of them is that apparently he is a good journalist yeah. and that he did real work in Vietnam. And that's a part of his life that he's very proud of. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like, right. I think yeah. the difference the, to take that away completely is in the book. Yeah, I guess weird. the difference is that Dave is trying to remind him of who he was. Right. In a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And in this it's yeah. kind of like he wants him to remember who he was because he was such a coward. And that cha- you're right. That changes yeah. everything. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a weird. So in the book, he's a lot more like Michael Herr, who did like mm-hmm. dispatches where he's a journalist who would occasionally pick up a machine gun if he had to. Um, but yeah, this I, I and we all just read this book pretty recently and I was watching the movie being like, wait a minute, yeah. did that happen? And I was going back and forth more and more, you know, second guessing myself watching this movie being like, wait, I don't remember talk time traveling <laughs> as a Vietnamese suicide, which suggests like. They were fated well, to fight talk anyway, which I guess goes to in God's book, plan. What it is is he just barely escapes a bombing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. It's not that he runs away. Like George and Seinfeld. Yeah, because I mean, all you have to do is the fire takes place in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> but I think what it is. Pushing I think what it is way. in the book is that he leaves the bar on his own accord, mm-hmm. you know, and barely misses a bombing. Um, and I think. The difference, I started we're already getting into it, but the difference in that character choice or that choice in the script is that um, when David's reminding him, he's like, yes, your best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. God wants you to be the best version of yourself, mm-hmm. which is a, which is really powerful, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like yeah. and and in here it's you have to make up for the bad things you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, in some ways, I don't know, it's just like this, uh, this pursuit of, um, I don't know, uh, this like moral um, revision. I don't know. Well, it's just like, it, it feels very Christian in the sense where it's just like, you need to be a better person in this very prescriptive way. Because the other know? part about that is, looking at in, in the way that the, the movie looks at it, is Johnny is trying to, Johnny wants everybody to leave, desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, by the way. That's not a bad thing. Exactly. By, by right. the way, I would be. In the exact same boat. It's not cowardly. I'm sorry. I'm not listening to some 10-year-old <laughs> kid telling me that I'm wrong about wanting to get out of town where there's a, a mad sheriff killing people. Um, but that changed Daffy. everything. Now, is now it the cowardly? movie presents is him. Is that cowardly to one? Exactly. Yeah, right. It's not cowardly. And the movie presents now he is a coward as opposed to, oh, he's sensible. You got well, brave, you no, brave I, I, or whatever. You know, I don't know. The movie has a weird sense of karma, too, because it's like you ran from a suicide bomber. So now you must become a suicide <laughs> bomber. <laughs> You know, at the end, he literally goes in the well and blows right. himself up. That's you're like, oh, I, by the way, I do have a question about that, that, <laughs> that Wikipedia entry about Tack possessing the bomber. Isn't this whole thing about how Tack has been trapped in the mine for 70 years? <laughs> so I what, know, right? You find a leak underground into the, in the core of Earth and go to Vietnam for a minute and then come back to the mine or something? Like, I know, that's I what, that's assume, what was the making way, it my... I assume, Tack inserting himself into memory. Exactly, 100% yeah, agree. 100% agree. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's accurate, I, I think that but was, it's filmed in such a way mm. where 
Oh, it's, I, it's I felt it's like it, yeah. the fact yeah, that exactly. it's a bad movie. Poke holes and I just a sinking ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, like uh I think too the I think that's so jarring because for people who have read the book, the movie is pretty faithful. Mm-hmm. I mean King Some wrote of it the script. Is almost too faithful. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. almost too faithful. There's there's certain sequences that, you know, I think could have been streamlined so much more and allowed for other scenes to flourish a little bit. But yeah, I mean it really does follow a, the pretty, you know, this and which is good I think in the beginning especially because the the opening stuff with the share with Kali and Tragian pulling over Mary and Peter, uh, you know, um, scooping up the family in the RV, like all that stuff is really scary. The scene with Johnny, all of those scenes are really effective and they're pretty much, you know, word for word as they are in the book, which, you know, I think, and that's the best part of the movie, honestly, just like it's one of the better parts of the book. So, um, so yeah, it is really jarring when they, when they get to the end and there's all this sort of, you know, uh, I mean, if you think about the book, there's these massive flashbacks, there's these, um, sort of metaphysical sequences where David is speaking to a younger version of Johnny Marinville and, uh, you know, learning about the mine. And they sort of accomplish a lot of that backstory about the mine by David watching this film uh, through some, like, you know, eye finder thing. And uh, it's... uh, it's really strange because, I mean, of course, I just kept asking, who made this film? Like, who stitched this together? Well, I somebody actually made the film, right? I know, I know. <laughs> Wait, no, yeah. I mean, what they did. And also, but also film. especially if you take for granted, like, there was no film. Right. Like, in, in that part, like, in 1850s or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I did assume that this was just God's way of presenting a visual for mm-hmm. David. But it's, movies are so, it's so funny, like, what bothers us about about movies and how if something it's the balance between how good is the rest of it and how annoying is the thing are the things you know if a movie is good enough obviously like you'll just be like oh yeah that that's fine yeah you know you know Um, it's a good comparison to that is i I think about the scene when when we see david's friend go flying off his bike oh god (laughs) right no here's the thing it shouldn't be funny no don't worry i i I also laughed (laughs) but i thought to myself why am i laughing this is not nice but I think to myself about the kid being hit by the, the truck in Twin Peaks The Return, and I was not laughing. Mm-hmm. But it's like you said, Anna, it's like, it, it, what's surrounding this? Like, what's our mood watching it? Are we laughing at it already? Like, are we taking it seriously? And that's what happens in this movie. You can't take it seriously because it's so goofy and poorly made. Yeah. I, and yeah. This, that, that, that hit scene was like the stunt from Mac and me when the kid goes <laughs> over the cliffs. Um, I mean, I thought it was a pretty brutal car accident hit, but it was hilarious. Well, I mean, just the way that he hit the wall. was. I believe in 2006, they could have done better effects. Yes. Like, yeah. the it's ketchup on his head. Like, yeah. it is like... Yeah. <laughs> and it there's like also CGI. It's one of those yeah. things, like, this happens a lot, like, obviously in TV movies, where they just put a bunch of blood on someone and there's no visible cuts or anything. There's yep. just, like bleeding from somewhere Mm -hmm. um and then also like how much a difference it makes that david does the prayer right over his body Mm -hmm. immediately rather than having some suffering yeah Mm -hmm. and some grief yeah he never has that religious experience that he has in the book which um you know where he sort of finds miraculously comes out of the coma right like in the book yeah everything's compacted everything's just kind of crushed together and also we actually didn't talk about this in the miniseries i think but i was thinking about it because or didn't talk about this in the book but i was thinking about it because i did dislike this so much (laughs) but in the book the the kid getting out of the coma is is explicable 
mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. it's not like a it's it's a miracle that David feels like he created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or that he had a part in. But no one else is like, "Oh my god, something miraculous has happened." Which is a cool thing to do because that's about faith, right? And that's yeah. about direct connection mm-hmm. to higher power. Um, and here it's like we don't know how badly he's injured. Like he does mm-hmm. look like he has just like strawberry jelly on his head. And it's and then the lack of grief, the lack yeah. of like him contemplating what his life is going to be like without this guy. And also, I think we all agreed in the book, the scene of the mother, the mother's monologue about the drunk driver yep. in the book is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, all gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, like, when McGarr says he didn't want to lengthen the script, I say, come on, man, like spread it out over two nights. Uh, Here's the, I do have a question about that, though. Yeah. If this was a three hour movie. With this casting crew, <laughs> do we really think it's going to be better having some of these scenes? It would just been more infuriating, like, wow, they really they really blew this. That's what it would have been. That's my, my it's like view. the CC's pizza argument. It's just like, well, it's not good, but at least the portions yeah, are wow. awesome. You tell me unlimited bad pizza? Let's go. I will say, uh, has anyone seen American Movie, the documentary about Mark oh, Borchardt? Yeah, there's a scene. Of, I, there's a connection here, I promise. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I think I see where you're going. Well, there's a scene when um, he's filming uh, Coven, as he calls it, and he's they he's smashing a guy's head into the kitchen like drawer, and he, but he does it so many times, you know, because they're not scoring the wood enough so it would break. But then the funniest part to me is like after they've slammed this guy's head into the thing so many times, and he's supposed to be dead, and they keep going twitch more, twitch more, like is he supposed to be twitching when he's dead? And uh, I literally thought of that because when the kid after you know you see the grape jelly or the strawberry jelly in his head he's hit the thing he's like twitching in such a comically like <laughs> like spastic way and i could just imagine kerosene on the camera going twitch more twitch more <laughs> twitch your fingers <laughs> see where i thought you were going with that is sure yeah. that that scene is hilarious and also you, he basically gives the actor a concussion just by you know yeah. banging his head <laughs> against the door but um it actually, because it's so earnest, which is the thing about that movie in general, right? It's right. just about passion and, yep. and sincerity. Um, it actually has a little power to it, I feel like. Like, mm-hmm. like the, you kind of understand what the actor's trying to... It, like, it would be if you saw that filmed, the end mm-hmm. result, the effects would obviously be terrible. Yeah. But... Number one, good thing filming in black and white. And number two, like, I do feel like one of the reasons if we love King, I say this over and over, is his his sincerity. Yeah. And, like, I think you would see the sincerity in that scene and probably not at least laugh out loud. (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't – I would have liked a little more – perhaps sincerity there. It's it's just – it just feels like – I don't know. It's – it it could have been better, Mick. uh, And – I think we it's know you're best. listening. I know we know we know you're listening. It it, it really feels like a Hallmark channel yeah, sequence. Yeah, a lot of this does. Well, let's pop over. I think a good way to talk about this movie is to talk about it through its characters. So we're gonna head over to a section we call Heroes and Villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, Basil! <laughs> in Heroes and Villains, we talk about the various characters in this piece, which I think is helpful since this is an ensemble piece. And it's probably best to start with, I think, who, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing, but I think who we would all agree is probably the the shining star of this movie, which is Ron Perlman playing Kali and Tragian. Just good casting. Do we all agree with that? I think 100%. Yeah. I think this is the honestly the only reason to watch this movie. Yeah. I have a curveball other favorite, but we can talk about him. We can talk about Ron Perlman first. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think Ron Perlman and Clancy Brown are like the Bash brothers for Stephen King, <laughs> in my opinion. They're like the two big scary guys that are always great in his film. And and by the way, Clancy Brown also would have been very good in this role. Yeah. I would have yeah. loved it. I always think they're interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really like uh, Perlman a lot here. He gets dealt some really, really bad dialogue. Um, that's some of it is not in the book. There's a lot of like uh, timely, like King trying to make some timely pop culture jokes that really, oh, really. God. I appreciated don't the Peter Jackson joke. Oh, oh no, like I actually. <laughs> I have that for my quotes. <laughs> I actually appreciated it as I did the Donald Rumsfeld commands you to stop line. But although that's King, how about the Ann like, Coulter really, joke at the very like, end? Like liberal dad politics showing. Yes. But, um, yeah. Well, he <laughs> also asked three of you at the very end. I know we're we jumping around. I'll save my Tom Skerritt final lines for the very end. So yeah. We'll there's going, there's plenty to discuss there. Uh, but yeah, I think Ron Perlman though. I think in terms of capturing the jocularity of Kali, uh, balanced with the terror of Kali, mm. I think he's really good at that because he he he's one of those actors that can be really hyper imposing, but then he smiles and he can light up a room. You know, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the <laughs> I think I I believe that wholeheartedly. I love Ron Perlman. And so I think he's perfect casting for this. And I think some of those early scenes, uh, despite, you know, I think pacing being a little bit weird and and obviously the quality of the film uh, looking pretty Hallmark-ish, uh, I think some of those scenes work. I mean, you've got Annabeth Gish, who, and then um, Henry Thomas, uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Elliot from E.T. Always fun to see him. And uh, yeah, so I think some of those early scenes work. I think they just capture that anxiety of being pulled over, uh, not really knowing why, the cop fucking with you on the road. Those sequences, I think, are pretty solid. Um, I think... Perlman's performance falls apart a little bit like one with the more makeup that comes on because I think he he falls into and I've talked about this in the pod before which is uh King's wisecracking monsters his wisecracking ghosts and stuff he loves to write them and especially in his films I think specifically of the Shining miniseries that Mick Garris also directed that thing is chock full of ghosts who like to make jokes and I do not like that you know what it is Randall if this was a good movie I would have more problems with his performance, but because it's not a good movie, <laughs> I was so entertained by how over the top he was in this, you know, like the it balance is, is so screwed up anyway. Yeah, I, yeah, I little, think that that's a little more forgiving. I, I think that's a good point. And also I'll just go back again. Like the reason why King in his books can kind of get away with some of the wisecracking, I think some, some of wisecracking evil, um, some yeah. of it is that it is balanced with like yeah. genuine horror. And there is in the book, it is captured really well. And Ron Perlman, I think, gets the gist of it, which is that mm-hmm. idea of that jo- that jocular evil, right? Yeah, which is different yeah. than wisecracking, kind of. Yeah, but sure, but like having a great time in you know putting people through misery, like that's important for that character. You know, it's true, but I hate yeah. the Peter Paul and Mary joke. That's probably oh bad. well. There's some bits, you know. We could, we could go on for some bits. I think Flieger, you mentioned it earlier the uh, yuppies kill princess die, like the random comments and the social, well, the social commentary. Yeah, I will say <laughs> oh, I it's didn't... true, but like, like, like I think you said like the liberal dad jokes, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. social commentary of like, oh well, you know. But it, but yeah, it is funny with the Rumsfeld things. You know, it's born Iraq and Rumsfeld's been scheming forever basically but you could tell it was fresh in Stephen King's mind and he's like oh I'll take a shot at them here and it's just like <laughs> I get it but the Princess Die thing you're like that was 1997 this is not fresh in and anyone's like, mind where would at this Tack point. have gotten that right like that's right. what I always think <laughs> about well I think from the book don't they say like when Tack goes into somebody's body 
tech absorbs those person's memories it's right, also, but right? That where is would true. Kali and Tragen gotten? <laughs> well, he was a know. huge, he was a <laughs> he huge was a big royal guy. back in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> like he was in a blog. <laughs> and he loves royals. He's Paul and Mary, too. Like, he loves the royals. <laughs> the royals. Oh, Kali, he's always talking about the monarchy. Oh, I have a question, yeah. though. I always, in my head, reading it, I, I didn't have a hard G for Intragian. I, I always thought it was Intragian or something like that. So uh, off. I might be oh, saying it wrong. Enough. No, no you're saying believe, it right. I know. I think it's that. I think that we, I, th- I think someone listened to the audiobook. Mm. And I did. Oh. Uh, but I don't recall that specifically. I, th- I always thought it was an Intragian. Yeah. That's right. That's what it is. Hard G. Yeah. yeah. Not Gian. But it, in the yeah, audiobook, it doesn't soft G. That was my thing. Doesn't King say uh, vegan wrong in the audiobook? Oh, he says vegan. <laughs> he says it vegan. Yeah, there's vegan. a weird thing in the Midwest I, about pronouncing G's. I've noticed. Like, mm. does anyone else <laughs> people pronounce vague? Yeah, my, vag, my parents are vag, vague. I've never heard vag. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, I've it's heard like, like a weird, big, subtle like, thing that I actually can't even do it. But vague, vag, vague. It's like an almost soft A. <sighs> And I don't know. Vague. Vague. But I know when I go to the grocery store, they'll be like, do you want a bag? <laughs> I'm like, a bag? What's a bag? <laughs> um, very good. Very good. Uh, so, welcome to linguistics. <laughs> oh, we, we should get a, oh, yeah. where's a, Back to Amy Adams. Adams. Yeah, get Amy Adams in here. Um, so, yeah. So I think Kali, I think it is definitely the, and I think it's, it suffers too from the fact that he more or less, you know, disappears in the back half of it uh, mm. once his body gives out. What do we think about the gore effects here? Um, it, it's so vivid and, and just absolutely revolting in the book, the stuff that happens to his body. And here it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, again, it's, it's Mick Garris's sort of Halloween makeup horror, which again, I think is good in the right context, but where the bodies are supposed to be collapsing to such a degree, and that's one of the things that I think is most striking about the book in terms of mm-hmm. just the absolute, utter, disgusting gore, that just putting these sort of deep scar lines on his face, it, it, it loses a little bit of the impact, I think. What do you think, I Justin? think the, the, the problem is, is that those, these scenes are just incredibly lit. Right, mm-hmm. that's the problem. So everything's accentuated. If if there were a little more, if there were some more shadows or some of these things were happening a little bit more in the dark, it would probably look a little bit more effective. Yeah. But when you see so much light, you can kind of, especially in HD, yeah. you know, you can kind of see. Well, no, the this cracks. is. There, did you rent it in HD? I thought it was only available in standard. Well, it was. I rented it on. Let's give some plugs. They need it for, to, on Apple TV, and. <laughs> I th- it was widescreen, so I assumed it was kind of remastered. Maybe they shot it on tape. Regardless, you could definitely see the It was bad. The, uh, I mean, I had, effects, I'm not you know? a real, like, gore head, mm-hmm. um, so I don't mind toning it down a bit. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm really glad they left out the yeast infection. Something. Yeah. Oof. Um. <laughs> well, it is interesting when ABC ABC is essentially tasked with adapting something that is hard r you know like yeah. if if desperation manifested on screen as it does in the book that's a hard r um and it's funny because we just interviewed uh um we just interviewed the filmmaker chelsea stardust who directed satanic panic and my favorite thing about satanic panic was the extreme like it's 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 very uh sleepover kind of you know horror comedy but the gore is really intense and really gnarly and gross and uh and she mentioned that 
if she could do any king, it would be a, a do a proper like mini series of desperation, like stretch, you know, do it across like four wow. or five parts or something. And she was essentially saying, like, I'd really want to lean into the gore, like not have to do the ABC version, you know. So I, I would love to see that. And uh, because I do think that there is a version of this that could still be made and could still be very effective because oh, there's a lot of good stuff in this in the book. Oh, I definitely you know? was thinking to myself, like, what would the prestige you know, mm-hmm. version of this be because I was thinking about how that kind of our, our, you know, streaming highbrow TV era has tackled religion and spirituality yep. in ways that are effective. I was thinking of The Leftovers yep, and other shows that do have an undercurrent of asking about like, even like The Good Place, you know, like, I yep. mean, or asking these big questions in a way that seems congruent with what you're seeing on the screen <laughs> right right I'm, I'm imagining mike flanagan's adaptation being 10 episodes and then episode eight is a total flashback to the the china pit yeah yeah <laughs> i know, you could get perfect. a. I would love an episode that's the china pit because i actually that's, find that yeah. china pit story really scary i mean it's yeah. really good um i don't love the revenge part of it i think you could probably <laughs> to me the china pit story could end with just everyone getting in the cave-in you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the two brothers coming back is a little, I don't know. Like, I don't. Yeah, it was I, just on that scene because um, I didn't comment previously on it. It's I'm very curious who produced that. If it was Tack who produced it or what, because there are <laughs> camera angles that you see from Tack is Robert the inside Evans. the hole. But you get the first person POV of the the miners looking into the holes. So presumably Tack had a camera in there waiting. It's God. Um, it's God. It's God, Dan. It. It's but God. No, but, and, some the, God but some of the, the name cards, including some of the name cards have like, everything. before there's no, but the, the, the God, even the uh, subtitles are from Tack's perspective. And so, cause he's like, Takala. Uh, Tacky. It was produced by Charlie Chaplin, so we know he's in heaven. I guess. So. <laughs> Tack also did the score, the you know the riff. Oh, that on. is actually, which was like off- offensive. I mean, They're very offensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think oh it's God. hard to make think... music offensive. <laughs> I <but> know. Like... <laughs> plink, 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 plink. I don't plink. think Tack oh is concerned about offending the snowflakes. Uh, right. So, but God made the movie. God made the movie. God is low key racist. <laughs> Jesus take Jesus make the movie. I am dying at the idea of Tack producing the movie, like sitting in a in a chair uh, with some sunglasses on. Like, this non corporeal, yeah. yeah, this non corporeal spirit with sunglasses and headphones. Yeah. But, you, but you've seen the Mr. Show sketch um, with Bob and Kurt. It's God as Bob Evans, yep. Robert Evans. I love that. That's, yeah. Oh, no. That you picture that for this. What a ride! What a ride! So uh, Tack stays in the picture. Kid stays in the picture. Uh, so, yeah, okay, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about David, uh, because I think that's the other key role here. And it's a character I think we all struggled a bit with in the book, uh, because, you know, we've got this 10-year-old uh, boy who uh, has had this religious experience, and the way he talks about it, and the way he sort of, um, I don't know, processes his spirituality, it's something that's well beyond his years, but I think I think what the book captures that this doesn't is the idea that he's still a boy. Uh, if there's one thing I like in the book is the reference to "Oh shit, the mummy's after us!" Right, like the sequence where he's remembering his friend and they were they would always pretend the mummy was chasing them, and it was a good reminder that this kid is ten years old. Uh, we don't really get that here, aside from the fact that we have this visual of this child wearing a baseball shirt. But uh, the actor who's tasked with playing him, his name is Shane Habucha. Gesundheit. <laughs> Um, is 
he's really tasked with a pretty impossible role, which is mm-hmm. playing this hyper spiritual kid who is a sage and uh, essentially telling all the adults what to do as they gather around him and say, David, share us your visions of God. And um, yeah, so I, I, I feel for this kid. Uh, because I don't think that it's it's not like, OK, anybody who's listened to our Shining miniseries episode, which I think is just in our Shining episode. Um, yeah. It's pretty iconic for the fact that I went hard on Cortland Mead, the child actor, and I said he sucked, which was very mean of me to say about a child. And I've apologized many times. Um, I'm going to be nicer to Shane here because. Unlike Danny Torrance, who is a pretty well fleshed out character, uh, Cortland could have done more, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> that little kid. I know. Uh, but I think I think Shane, I really wouldn't have known what to do aside from what he did, which is uh, basically narrow his eyes and speak in hushed tones uh, to everybody. Flieger. Can I say, don't feel too bad for him because he is in Fountains of Wayne, Stacey's. Oh, shit. The he plays the boy in that music video. Yes. Oh. So he gets to give Rachel Hunter a massage. He gets to. Watch her I'm a, sunbathing. So, I'm a bad. This came out before um, uh, that movie, but King fan for not remembering the main kid in uh, it, the recent one. He looks oh, like uh, him so much. Oh yeah, yeah. Wait, you mean like, Jaden Martell, the kid who played Bill? Yes, yes, Which, Bill. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Um, I think, yeah, impossible task. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I it's, it, it feel, I mean, we can, it can I mean, we want to get into even a little bit of plot here, but like, do it. it you know, you're, in, it's going to be bad when the very first scene, I think, of, that has him in it is he's the bad, whatever, like Kali leaves or whatever, and he turns around to start praying. Mm-hmm. And his mom's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, like, this is the first they've heard of right. him being into god that was really in the weird book too right isn't no. it also in the book where no, she, she gets mad thought, yeah oh, she's mad okay that's right. they're aware like, of she, his she, spirituality yeah yeah okay. like she knows that that's something he's been doing i mean i don't know maybe she asks up when he gets down on his knees but like she's she gets mad because why is he doing this now well you know it's like, funny the, the way that the, the way that this, this the plot of the of the movie is so smashed together it's possible that his friend had gotten that bike accident like the day before they went on the road mm-hmm. trip yeah you know it's like who knows but I, I think in the book she's upset because pie has just been yeah, killed yeah, yeah. and she's mad at god for taking her child understandable but in the yeah. movie it doesn't she's just yeah again you're like it's as if he was hiding his religiosity and clearly he had been praying and attending church for a while and so it's just it's so weird her to be dumbfounded like what are you doing well, but again hey stacy's mom <laughs> Kids okay, man. Well, Anna, he landed on Anna, his you feet. made a good point earlier. Just this idea of the lack of grief that we see in this. Um, people die, and it's sort of like, okay, they're dead. Um, and grief is such a huge part of the book. And the fact mm-hmm. that David loses both his parents and his sister is, you know, that's what what almost breaks him essentially. And they do they play to that. Those lines are in this movie. But you know, when we see Ralph get killed by the buzzard um, le- near the end of the movie, poor Matt. Da- it, it, I mean, like, I know what a waste. Matt, I know Matt Frewer just lost in the woods with with this role. Can't blame him. I mean that that role's pretty underdeveloped in the book too. I would so. say pretty faithful. Yeah, yeah. but um, I will just say that it's poor Shane. I mean, having to to demonstrate grief for having lost your entire family is not easy. But he doesn't even really try. It's well, just sort of the movie oh no, doesn't give him the space to do it either. Right, right, like, right. And and also the but the lack of grief really bothered me with Mary. Like yeah. she just seems fine. 
That's like, what I want to talk just... about when we get to her. I, I don't understand. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, well, let's pivot over to her. I'm sure we'll talk more okay. about David. But yeah, let's talk about Mary, uh, a character that has dimension in the book, but still not horribly well developed. But here there's really, yeah, there's this lack of grief and there's also just a general um, uh, lack of, of personality to this character. Uh, Justin, she, go ahead. Well, I think in the book, she really doesn't say much after her husband's died because she's, you know, grieving mm-hmm. and is in total shock, right? She doesn't have, she's kind of just out of it for a little while before she picks up at the very end. Obviously she develops kind of a relationship with David, I guess. But in this, it was so striking. Her husband has just been shot in the stomach twice downstairs. Mm-hmm. And then once Kali leaves five minutes later, she just is kind of like, hey, take it easy on your son. We've all been yeah, through that's a, yep, yep, That's exactly the line where I was like, what? Like, she seems really pulled together for someone that just saw her husband shot get right bleed like, out on the ground yeah and remember yeah. also what is one of the nice touches in the book that we talked about um was her mystification at this is happening to me mm-hmm. you know yep. um which happens with the mom too but like i i that's one of the things that the book does really really well that you sort of get with the Johnny scene in a way, which is that like the horror of having something that you think you know how it should go. Like if any one of us, because we're white, got pulled over by a policeman, like we would mm-hmm. think we know the steps, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That come. We would not be fearful for our lives because we're white. Um, and to have that narrative just go in this surreal and violent direction is completely destabilizing and she seems not destabilized at all. Yeah. That's something I was going to touch on earlier with, with King being a really solid, great novelist and not necessarily a great screenwriter because a lot of that stuff is conveyed in the book through internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think he forgets sometimes to how, of how to express that as a visual or you know, we're not spending so much time in people's heads. Or perhaps he relies too much on the actors to convey those things. And, and that's my next thing. Yeah. Is Annabeth Gish is very hit or miss for me personally. I think she's really good on, there was an FX show called The Bridge a couple of years ago. Yeah. Mm. Um, really good show. She's good in it. And she was also really good on this old Showtime show called Brotherhood. Oh, yeah. I remember that show. With uh, Pet Cemetery's Jason Clark, as a matter of fact. The man she's himself. very good in that. But I think she was kind of bad on The X-Files when she was on. And I think she's... I think she's pretty bad in this. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is, is the script or if it's just this kind of flat, emotionless performance. I don't know. That's my that's my uh, take. Yeah. But I can't go harsh on a 10-year-old actor. <laughs> I guess you could be able to go a little harsher on We can go harsh. Stacy's mom uh, soothed his wounds. So, right. all right, let's talk about a god amongst men. His name is Charles Durning. He plays Tom Billingsley, local drunk and vet- veterinarian. Local drunk. <laughs> Local drunk. And uh, yeah. I got to say, man, I just wrote in my notes, the man's got gravitas. Uh, and I I think, Anna, you agree with me on this. I One of the first things I wrote down about him early on, I was like, wow, he's acting the shit out of this role. Like, yeah. You know, and he's it's range, too, like because he's also a really great comic actor. Right. Mm hmm. And um, you believe him. You <laughs> just everything about him, like you believe, like, and 
everyone else is really doing community theater level, like really blocky. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, also community theater in all these respects, like literally like the way they move, the way that they, you know, are around the set. And he's like, wow, this is from a different movie almost. Like, mm-hmm. um, he, he has a p- pathos to him also that is in the book and that he has no, he has not been given a backstory in the movie to have. Yeah. You know, but he yeah. manages to sort of ring it out of there. Yeah. Justin. I mean, he's just, he was one of the best character actors, period. Right. So we talked a little bit about the young child who played David and even <laughs> Annabeth Gish to an extent. Who was just of, shitty, right? Yeah. Let's <laughs> he's be honest. He's so shitty. Fuck He's this an adult guy. now. Deal with it. Um, but we, we kept saying how they couldn't rise above the material, but Charles Durning has always risen above the material, no matter what. Like I've never watched a movie or show and thought, oh, it was pretty good, except it's too bad Charles Durning sucked. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just not going to happen with him. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's nice to have yeah, an old hand has, like that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he has like, I'm looking at IMDb, like 216 credits to his mm-hmm. name. And I would wager that if you added up all of the acting roles from the rest of the cast, it wouldn't equal half of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is he, he's not with us anymore. No, he passed away a little while ago. Yeah. Too bad. Uh, let's yeah, talk. Too bad. Too bad. How <laughs> dismissive. Let's move on. <laughs> too slow. Sucks to be him. Uh, let's move on to someone who doesn't suck to be is Steven Weber. Uh, this guy, he looks great for his age. I gotta he say. Looked, yeah. He looks very snacky. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, Justin sent a photo of Weber to the thread. And let's just say that uh, one member of the pod by the name of Jen was quite taken with him. So. And he looks better in this than I'm. I mean, honestly, like most of the stuff I've seen him because I usually hate his hair. Yeah. Um, but I also I it's funny. So I wasn't looking at when it got made. And I assumed from the way he was dressed, it was like the mid 90s. Yeah. He re- <laughs> Let's talk about this. <laughs> But to like, be fair, like and it sh- to her fair. too, like she got all her clothes from the Dahlia's catalog or, and yeah. like him, like with all those rings, like express that, for men. Let's talk about the like. thumb rings for a little while. <laughs> let's, let's focus on the thumb rings. I was like, oh wait, this guy's got thumb rings. Okay. Now he's a roadie. I wasn't buying it before. He needed a now, chain wallet. Where was the chain wallet? I agree. Needed it. Uh, yeah, he looks pretty young in this. He does. I think. Th- I feel like the character of Steve Ames in the book is probably what ten, fifteen years older. Yeah, he, he yeah. feels a little older. So I think that the relationship between him and Cynthia in the movie is actually less gross to me. Yeah, and I'm not sure how anybody else felt about that. Yeah, yeah, I will say if we want to be somewhat positive about the adaptation. Yeah, well, I, I was going to save it for pound cake, <laughs> but uh, and I'll, I'll probably bring it up again. But I will just say that the moment of you know uh, supernatural romantic connection that happens, I was like, that's one of the more effective parts of this. Honestly, like they sold that. Um, but yeah, Cynthia, not really how I envisioned her uh, from the book. I think that they kind of soften her punk edges a little bit, and she's wearing like a Bob Dylan shirt, and so it's. Uh, I kind of wish that. You know, she had like um, you know a bad brain shirt on or something. Um, I was like, go there, like King. Don't miss the two tone hair. Yeah, yeah. That was basically they made her part of her character. Made her more like uh, like run Lola run hairstyle, I guess. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that character's got so much backstory because of Rose Matter, right? She was also mm -hmm, in Rose Matter mm -hmm. before Desperation. So and I think well. I'll just stick it up to, to stick on Steve Weber for a second. You really number one. He really looks great. <laughs> yeah, just like number one, I was like, wow. I first I actually didn't really. It was like, is that Steve Weber? Because he looks much hotter than I remember him mm-hmm. ever looking. Um, 
And then I, as a mid nineties girl, I guess I sort of like it dig, I even dug the finger rings and stuff um, with the thumb <laughs> ring. And then also he does a pretty decent acting job. Like, yeah, I agree. I think he's pretty good in this. Like he's, he seems natural at mm-hmm. least, which like mo- even Matt Furr, who is fewer, Matt Fewer, um, Fewer, um, who is usually, I think, pretty great. Like, mm-hmm. just seems kind of that's the, he's the community theater guy, you know. Yeah. Whereas, like Steve Weber seems like he just is is in his character, you mm-hmm. know, and like not not doing enough maybe, but at least I believe that was a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that the character actually I I bought the character that he's playing in the movie actually mm-hmm. more than the character in the book, which I can't say about just about anything else about the movie. Yeah, the trouble with Steve is the character pretty much runs out of steam, uh, like near the, in the latter half of the book. And Agreed. in the movie, it feels very similar. Like, it's nice to have Steven Weber there, but you kind of just forget he's there um, after mm-hmm. a while. Um, once, they yeah. meet, once he and Cynthia meet the ensemble, yep. they kind of just disappear. Yep. 100%. Like, basically, they were there to bring the van. You know, like, the van is <laughs> is their contribution to the plot. And they don't... And, you know, Steve d- serves more roles in the book in the sense that I believe he's the one... Oh, no, Johnny's the one who shoots the cougar. But, like, he has a couple of moments where he helps people. He he does things. He's, like, there to... I think he... The woman who's in the book that's not in the movie, uh, Audrey, Audrey. Yeah, like, he pulls her off David, I believe. Like, there's key moments, I think, that he serves in the book that he just doesn't really get to do here because they either cut those storylines or... So he kind of just becomes another person who is like this child i just met is touched by god i will believe every word he says mm-hmm. um and that doesn't really work and yeah as for frewer it's just a bummer because he's such a non-entity in this i mean he's selling the, i mean if anything he's selling the grief like more than anyone else but in doing so, but the fact is he he's selling it silently but he doesn't really have anything else to do so he's just this like sad guy in the back you know? yeah i don't even think he's really selling the grief. I mean, I just think sure, it's such yeah. a because the way he interacts with David is. I mean, I can now that I'm thinking about it, I I can almost imagine Fur as an actor reading the book because and maybe trying to be the character from the book because mm-hmm. in the character in the dad character Ralph in the book there is a mm-hmm. kind of interesting thing that happens where he's like he feels like his son is no longer his son like he he's like who is this kid you mm-hmm. know like I feel both in awe of him. Yeah. And he's my son. And there was a little bit of that awestruck quality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that also makes the character kind of work in the book, though, is that is that it, every once in a while, he's the only one who treats David like a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, like he's his he remembers. All right. This is my son. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's not a prophet. Yeah. He's my son. And in fact, I, I, when that's the argument he uses about but when David's going to do something dangerous. He's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's 12. He's my son. <laughs> um, yeah, I, think, and- I think what's tough, I was going to say in the jail scene, what's tough is because the way the cameras are set up and people, the actors are not necessarily facing each other, right? Some of the cells are kind of perpendicular facing. So there's a lot of reaction shots that just feel not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fru has a few where it's like he's looking at David trying to squeeze through the bars and you know they're like alright now your son's squeezing look <laughs> bewildered and it's just <laughs> yeah. I just think that's yeah. a very hard thing to pull off is those sort of reactions that make them believable um, similarly when they're fighting like the cougar or mm-hmm. when the birds attack you know when they're trying to 
point the gun at the cougar that's attacking, and it's three people with a gun sort of <laughs> shaking them around. Imagine if, like, something in, like, the haunted mansion that you would and see. And I can't just, believe like, they pulled the I don't want to shoot the person and the other thing twice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, and we could probably talk about this more in another section, but just, it's it's so obvious. I mean, I know it's not going to, they weren't going to use, like, a real cougar or whatever, but it's so <laughs> obvious that he's wrestling, like, a stuffed animal. I thought did that I, even I having a couple shots of the uh, real no. cougar, I was impressed that they shelled out whatever it was to get a cougar, it looks like, on set, you know, well, like for at they, least a little while. There were a couple while. shots where it's definitely a cougar, yeah. but... Some of the, the, the extreme close-ups uh, <laughs> doesn't look terrific. They and then spent is all this their where money we get to talk the... about the replacement of wolves with dogs? Uh, well, I was going to say, they, I think they they got the cougar because they saved money, saved not, money on the, <laughs> not getting on a wolf, <laughs> using some mangy dogs. Like they're uh, like, is it a cougar or a mountain lion? Or are they, uh, they're, they're similar they're family. I the same-ish. Yeah. It's like yeah. panther, cougar, wildcat. They're all the same. Um, yeah. Big cats. Um, Big yeah, the cats. dogs. The dog thing really, really bugged me because I believe even I, this. This is something that King kind of does. I think every once in a while, which is that he mm-hmm. makes the distinction between dogs and wolves because, like, he is an animal person clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that might happen in in the book where like Tack is like dogs, servile creatures, you know, not worthy of da 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 da. da. But mm-hmm. the wolves, you know, yeah. I actually have a memory of that. That's in some book of Kings where he, yeah. he makes a distinction between why evil people, why evil doesn't like dogs. Yeah. Well, it's confusing because in the, in the book and the movie, dogs and cats are being, you know, nailed up against signposts, right? Yep. So why is this dog the exception? <laughs> well, there's and, many dogs. In like I the dog, the, there was. The there was one, I don't know why it bothered me, but there's one of the dogs looks his like, has like spot, like it has a eye, <laughs> and I'm like, those dogs aren't evil. That's not an evil dog. You can't have a. <laughs> what is dog out of this? You can't. Those dogs never are evil. Like this. What if it was like corgis? <laughs> oh god, the <laughs> thing of evil. I corgis will would bite have you. cut the movie so much slack if there had been a corgi. <laughs> I'm imagining the scene with the collie, this giant Ron Perlman saying, "Ah, but where this? You know, if any of you mess around, my corgi will be." Just this like Peter Patrick coming into the room between his legs. He's like, "Talk a lot." They are, they are hunting dogs. You know, like um... like the corgis of the night. What snarfs they make? I'm just imagining that that shot. My corgis of the night. The the van going down the road and all the dogs are lined up on the side of the road. But if it was just all all corgis, I would be laughing so hard. How about Tom Skerritt? How about uh, Johnny with the jacket messing with the corgi? Just throws it on top of him. Okay, speaking of Tom Skerritt, let's talk about Johnny and leather jacket. Because I sent... When I was watching this, I sent the video when you first see him and he's coming down the road and we get like we're watching the motorcycle cruise down the road from a distance. And as it gets closer, you just start. Well, it's not, but you can also see it's like an old man and a leather jacket. And he looks so fucking stupid on the bike. Here's a couple of thoughts. Well, maybe, but I just I sent a video to our thread because I was like, this looks so dorky. Here's the thing. We always talk about why is King always using like mid to late 70s, early 80s, quote unquote, dad rock in all of his movies Um, or even his novels, I should say. But this is the one case where it would have made sense because there's no way in hell Tom Skerritt or Johnny Marinville 
was into the talking heads. <laughs> I had that. I had that exact same reaction. I was like, "This is like a good song, but yeah. why is it playing now?" You know. Like, yeah. This is when you play CCR. This yeah, that's a weird needle drop. You know? I mean, but it's like he's super like he's into like new to ways. You, you listen to yeah, you listen to something from the Vietnam era as a cover because in the because you can't afford the rights to the real thing as they do later on in the uh, show. That's true. Yeah, I am. Um, I am a huge Tom Skerritt fan in general. Um, mm-hmm. As well, you just did Alien on your podcast. So. I was going to say, I'll just use this as another chance to bring up Alien. Um, there's a couple things. One, I rented this on Amazon. And mm. the still of him on Amazon to advertise this is the dorkiest fucking shot. <laughs> like he looks terrible. It just looks, he just looks like his hair is messed up and he has this expression on his face where he just looks really old. Um, <laughs> and he also, he did not inhabit those clothes well. Like the leather no. jacket thing. Like, no. I don't know, what, an they, alien, you know? what he could have done to make that seem more natural. Because he can act. Oh yeah, but there there is something very like that's not doesn't even seem like someone trying to be cool, like yeah. it just seems awkward. Right. Um, I thought he <laughs> sounds terrible, right? I thought he tried. You know, uh-huh. like there is there's some definite trying points where he's like trying to act or trying to yeah. like do something with what he has. Um, a lot of this yeah, is David. There's a very specific moment that I noticed in regards to what you're saying, Anna, where because, you know, I think a lot of his journey hinges on this moment where he's he he doesn't want to go face tag. He wants to leave. He's being called a coward. And it's the way that they justified here is they show this flashback of mm-hmm. him running away from this uh, suicide bomber. And but it's it's him and David are having this conversation about God being cruel and stuff. And then uh, he basically I was I watched it like three times because I was like, where's the the turn here? Because he's so angry and he says, like, what's he good for then? You know, about God being cruel and literally within like like five seconds, he kind of just has this moment. And you can see as an actor, he's trying so hard to justify the shift. the turn. Where suddenly he's like, okay, I understand servitude. Like, I understand the idea of serving well, God. Well, isn't the line, God's cruelty is refining, gone? It's not in this. Movie. Yeah, and yeah. Then, which is, like, we talked about it for hours mm-hmm. when, we, when we did the book. Like, that's, that's a really such a important key line. part yeah. of this theology. The idea that, you know... Every, there, everything happens for a reason, and that explains mm-hmm. God's cruelty. God's cruelty is yeah. refining. You, you yep. can't, this movie's all just like, why is God cruel? Why is God cruel? Why is God cruel? Well, yeah. God's cruelty is refining. Well. A decent point, by the way, is that last scene with David where he does mm-hmm. the line from the book. It's almost word for, you know, that scene's almost word for word about sometimes he lets us live. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is a powerful idea just in general. And in the book is really moving. And I think, I think he... He nails it in this particular exchange of dialogue. I think he that line does a lot of mm-hmm. work for him. Yeah. But it comes across. Yeah. And like there's scenes like, you know, after he has that turn, I, I there's this moment where he hugs David and he sort of like beckons over to him and like hugs him. And it's a moment that felt really pure and earnest for me. But I could tell it was like that was scared really turning it on because I think he knows as an actor that that shift has not been earned. And uh, so I felt like I was almost seeing him try harder in those moments because I think, and I can imagine that shooting that scene was probably hell because I can see him as an actor struggling. Uh, But I do agree, um, Anna, that 
his selling of that line did land. The problem is just that the weight that the text brings to that line um, and the context of the themes, like it's that's missing. So he can sell the line and the line itself is powerful on its own. But, you know, in the larger uh, realm of the story, it's like it just doesn't it, it doesn't have that same impact. And, and that's because uh, part yeah. of letting us live is the cruelty of refinement. Yeah, exactly. Right? To and let that's you not live th- after something cruel is a way of refining you. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, this this movie could use some more refining. <laughs> I want to say just because you made me think of it, it I, some movies make me think of this, some bad movies make me think of this and others don't, but maybe it's because I like so many of the actors on this one. This is one of the mm-hmm. movies where I was like, do they know this is shitty? Like, yeah. are they sitting around afterwards the and like, man, this is not very good. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I feel like if they watch the dailies, I don't, I don't know what they do with the treatment, but the sheen of these movies makes it look like it comes from the early nineties. Yeah, like we watch, you watch the Stephen King miniseries, and you're like, did they not improve cameras in well, the past ten years? Like for instance, I did some little research here, and the stand cost twenty six million dollars in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, and Desperation cost twelve million. Yeah, in two thousand. I know there's inflation involved, but. And, you know, obviously the stand is four parts and desperation is just one. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure why I brought this up. Oh, I think they didn't didn't spend, they did, this was not a luxurious spend. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they were cutting corners. And it sounds like, you know, with the the Tucson Convention Center burning, Mm, whatever, I'm sure some of their money went towards that too. They're like, Stephen, we got to cut your pay a little bit, man. I'm sorry. We'll blame TAC for that. We'll blame (laughs) TAC for that. I was going to say it's Crimson King all over that. Yeah, Mm. seriously. Uh, Any other thoughts on Scarrett's performance or any other performances at PR Ups we have not highlighted? You know, there's actually an interesting movie that is kind of similar in terms of a, it's called the China Lake Murders from the early '90s. I think it was a USA movie. Okay. Did you, did you ever see this? I've, no. Michael Parks is in it, and he plays a, a a serial killer highway patrolman who pulls people over and kills them. And but it's Tom Skerritt's a cop who's trying to figure out what's going on. Doesn't uh, doesn't think it's just a, a highway patrolman. It reminded me a lot about the early thirty to forty five minutes of Desperation. Actually, interesting. I kept thinking. I wonder if that's why they were thinking about Tom Skerritt being in this to begin with. <laughs> Pretty good movie. His classic turn in the China Lake murders. Hey, it's a pretty good movie. Michael <laughs> Parks is in it. Hey, I love Michael Parks. Love Michael Parks. Uh, Another question. Uh, I'd love to see, I'd love to get my hands on that Viet Cong lookout movie poster. <laughs> I wonder if that's available on eBay. Yeah. I wonder where the desperation props are. I would um, say, just to jump in since you mentioned that, I do think that do that scene is a serviceable replacement. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. I'm giving like the sort of lamest of compliments, <laughs> but it's one of the places where I was like, okay, that was a decent decision. If mm-hmm. you're going to excise mm-hmm. the whole Viet Cong lookout part, you know, that comes with David, this, this sort of works. And then they did the him. He's ca- a coward. And I was like, no, that, yeah. What? You, yeah. you fucked it up. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's very strange. You can only so, blame the writer. Who, you know, it's just crazy. It's the same guy who wrote the book. So how crazy yeah, like was I said, it? I'm, that, uh, I'm fascinated. Like what he thinks is important and good of his own writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. I I will say just how crazy was it that uh, Colleen Tragian was in Vietnam when Tom Skerritt was there to talk to him outside the bar. It was at the Wikipedia entry said that Colleen was also there. I was right about to say, it's like continuing the theme of taking things way too literally in this movie. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Let's move on it's to... It's crazy that Johnny forgot all about that. <laughs> 
Well, he did have all the weird scars on his face in Vietnam. So, um, cool. Let's move on to a next section, which we call Nightmares and Dreamscapes. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Here in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, we talk about the things we loved and the things we didn't. Let's each share. We have already been discussing that. But this is where we. The weights of justice. This is where we zoom in a little bit more. Let's each share something we enjoyed, uh, something that we thought was positive. We can elaborate on something. Um, I I will say that even though I, I made fun and asked a lot of questions about the movie that sort of depicts the China um, pit uh, collapse, I will say it was a clever idea in terms of conveying that information in a way that wasn't just like Charles Durning delivering that monologue, you know? I agree. And so I can give them credit for that. And it also shook up the visual style in a way that I think was interesting and ambitious on the part of Mick Garris and producer Tack. So, um, yeah, so I I can give the the credit for that. I will say, like, in parts of it, you know, there was something to me slightly unnerving about, like, the silent film format and the idea of it just saying Takala or whatever, like, being the the text that pops up, because there's something anachronistic about it and just kind of eerie. And so I can give it credit for that. That was, to me, one one of the parts that I thought was where I saw some real, like, creativity going into taking that book which is so sprawling and putting it on screen so uh what else stood out to you guys as a positive thing something you enjoyed i also thought that was a somewhat clever way of dealing Mm -hmm. with that information um i do think if you're i think it's funny to make it a silent film where since there's not even film then like if you're like you could could have just had sound because yeah you're inventing it no matter what um the in the music was racist. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know uh, y'all that were on the book episode know that one of my problems with the book was when the spiders spell out theater. Yes, um, I thought that having the spiders run to the picture of the theater was somehow more. <laughs> <laughs> I think Stephen King's a big E. B. White fan. <laughs> spiders spelling out the name just always really bugged me because it's like how would uh, you know is this like, one of the improvements that you mentioned yes, earlier yes this is an improvement <laughs> yes yes, yes yes love it love it um, i think that's a really good one yeah uh i thought that um what was the other improvement um <laughs> you know in general there's not a lot to love here really mm-hmm. you know um, uh, I found the office scene somewhat creepy, like yeah. when uh, when David goes down to the office, which is a really creepy scene in the book too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, and other than that, like it's so many missed opportunities. Yeah, Justo. Um, I'll give McGarris some credit. I, I did like the fish-eyed lens that he was using a lot in the first mm. twenty minutes with Kali, especially mm-hmm. to really accentuate the surreality of it all. Yeah, there's a lot of ground level shots, like. Fo- you know, extreme close-ups. It kind of reminded me of when Larry and uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the stand, like yep. extreme weird fisheye lens close-ups. That kind of set the tone pretty good for who Kali was. Mm-hmm. And but it he helps pretty can... much abandons that. Yeah. You know? 
He helps um, convey size, though, in a way, though, too. And especially those yeah. those shots that are from the ground up, they really do create that imposing, that sense of the imposing nature of this person. So, yeah, I remember I found that effective, too. I mean, I think in general, that whole opening sequence, there's something almost gonzo about it at times, mm-hmm. which I can appreciate. Uh, the, the early stuff with Kali and, the you know, I think those scenes really do allow a direct, give a director a lot of like, uh, you know, free reign to go a little crazy. Uh, Flieger, what's something you enjoyed? Uh, there's actually two things that I really like. Uh, the first one is just a personal one. I love the wall murals because it reminded me of the sure. Pawnee Pioneer Hall from Parks and Rec, <laughs> where they had the <laughs> depiction of the China mine or the China pit. Um, but as a, on a serious note, I actually thought the soundtrack was pretty good. Um, there was a lot of ominous sort of like tribal war drums going in the background. A lot of it just felt very southwestern. It really set the place. Um, nothing, you know, overpowering, but just there was an ominous beating in the background mm-hmm. that I think they actually put a lot of thought into. It, other than the talking heads, I don't think there was, I think it was all original soundtrack after that. Oh, no, my my dear boy. What was the other song? The Vietnam uh, Velvet Revolver, anybody? Oh. When Steve, oh. When Steve Ames introduced. He's singing really? The, Velvet Revolver? He's singing Fall to Pieces. No shit. Yeah. Um, Steve, that's what I want well, to talk about. Well, I guess about. that's more, uh, what? diegetic music if he's interacting with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, sure, sure. It's not really soundtrack, but no. my but, dear boy. I don't have the name of the composer. I didn't want to Oh, I have up. the theme music composer was Nicholas Pike. I well, don't... that person worked with, he, he worked with uh, Mick Garris a lot. He actually did Critters 2. Ah. Mick Garris, which is a fun movie, by the way. That's actually a good Mick Garris movie. On nice. the so murals, I would say that it's historically accurate for those to be racist, which they were. Like, Agreed. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. That was well, yeah. I yeah, agree. well planned. Yeah. Uh, uh, any other dreams, or should we talk about the nightmares? I have several uh, myself. I was waking up all night. <laughs> um, Justo, you lead us. Okay. This is this thing that kind of bothers me once again about King struggling to adapt from novel to screen. Uh, when we see David looking around, he sees the, the blood that says Red Rum God. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, Murder Dog, that's what it really says. And then when Cynthia brings Steve over to the fish tank and we get that extreme close-up of the visible, you know, hand yeah. that's in there. And then she says, that's a hand. <laughs> like, um, now, I understand like in the book, you're building suspense. They go over to the fish tank. Yeah. And then Cynthia says, that's a hand. That's good. But we're already seeing it, Steve. We, we got it. Cut it. Um, so there, that's, we, we can go in a circle. Well, I got some more let's stuff. Let's give him a hand for that one. Hey, i uh, Dan, any what, what gave you nightmares? What kept you up at night? I thought everything worked. I thought it was great. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I just Not think it's the overall Brian song. It's been a TV movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's just the overall tone of it. It again, it had this amateurish quality of almost like a soap opera. It didn't. It, it, all of it added together somehow made it the sum less than its part. Like it just did not work overall. It, there's so many scenes. I think we've covered a lot of the stuff that did not work already for me, but I just was halfway through getting so bored and, you know, trying not to get on my cell phone while watching the movie, trying to really study it, but just like constantly checking being like how much longer. And that's not a good sign when you're watching a movie. Um, I'll throw in blood slot machine. What? I think yeah. my only guess is that Garrus was making a horror movie set in a casino and it didn't pan out. And he said, I got this great idea for a slot machine and blood comes out. I'm going to use it. And they're like, and they said, Mick, there's 
this is there's no casinos they here. Uh, they're in the middle of the desert. This is about you know vengeful gods. Uh, and he says, "I'm I'm going to work it. I'm going to make it work." They said, uh, you know, "Mix, sorry, ghost casinos canceled." No, there would be a slot machine <laughs> in any small town in Nevada. I think that would that's it be actually... filled with blood? Well, uh, no, money is but... blood. <laughs> okay, let's go with this. I've got something else about the slot machine besides the blood. So. Cynthia and Steve have just discovered multiple dead bodies hanging. Right. One room away. And she's decides to so play the, slot. And she's just decides to play the slot machine. Hey, cash is king. Hey. Can't win if you don't play. Um, um, I laughed out loud at that. I um, keep. I got some more stuff, but we can keep going. We can keep going. I, I want to re, sort of emphasize the lack of grief. Um, on the yeah. part of mm-hmm. everyone, but most especially the mom, uh, Ellen, you know, I, it's, it's, and then I do think that both of the animal scenes were really like hysterically funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it shouldn't have been funny and they were very funny. Yeah. Um, and then yes, the bicycle accident scene where <laughs> like, <the> flying <laughs> through the air. <laughs> Shouldn't have been the wire work. You know what? It also reminded me of Mr. Show because, like, Mr. Show took such pride in how cheap all the sets were and, like, how bad all the special effects were. That looked like a Mr. Show show. (laughs) David Cross is the kid on the bike. Um, I know. One one thing to add to the animals as well the, the use, gratuitous use of spiders, scorpions, and snakes. Like, I get people are afraid of those. But when you just keep going back and being like, this is scary, right? We'll just keep showing the snakes. We'll keep. Mm-hmm. Sh- so there were so many shots of just, um, what was the character's name? Um, when she was trapped. The one oh, Mary. Oh, Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just her walking around being like, <gasps> you can't hurt me. And then mm. let's show the snakes some more. All right, you can't hurt me. And it's just, all right, <laughs> we think we've established again, that. Mix. We got it. And then and I guess I, okay, yeah. another reemphasis is speaking, I think maybe they went double down on the snakes and spiders because the dogs are not scary. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, the corgi was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to try to generate fear with dogs, like cute dogs especially. Okay, I got something else here. Okay, bring it. It's possible I missed something, but I swear to God I didn't. When David is handing around the bag with the sardine cans in them, they keep doing these over-the-top shots of people reaching in, taking the sardine cans out, and then there's no payoff. Well, okay. A, I, okay, maybe I missed something there. Do I'm you remember this? Something. In the book, basically, they're all really hungry. Yes. All there is is a few cans of sardines. And, okay. um, and so, but the thing is, the and implication. Cracker. And, crackers. and crackers, which you should have had the bread in the movie. And so loaves the, and fishes, you got to have loaves. Yeah. So the implication is that it's like Jesus handing out, you know, fish and bread to everybody. And the that the bag kept replenishing so even though there was only a few i didn't cans, even notice that I yeah didn't notice it. to be fair that's that's my lack of, of well that's your lack of remembrance from Faith. the book but if you <laughs> but if you're not, not going to do the thing when they reach in the bag it's always the same number that's okay. what I'm, I, I missed yeah. that and I missed that. but I if you didn't, didn't know didn't like what a good established you'd have to have an establishing shot that would be exactly. more clear about how many there yeah. were because since they're kind of jumbled at the bottom, it's not even really clear how many there are. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I kept that's, that's why I was lost. That's and then also, we it is just it's a question of like, so they're eating this sardines with, like, with their fingers? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, gross. I guess they're very hungry. But sardines and <laughs> it, it on Ritz weird. crackers is actually pretty, pretty good. And mm-hmm. so I would, I would, I think they should have had the Ritz crackers. But I, I, I question though why they just, again, if you're going to make that scene about Jesus and the bread and the fish, 
why don't you just add the crackers in? You know what I mean? Why this half measure? It just didn't make sense. And kind of like, but even going back to like Mr. Show, it felt like the same shot, the inside yeah. shot of the bag every time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. at least show it changing and then replenishing. But yeah, instead it was just like the same over and over. Yeah, it felt. Also, Johnny didn't, he didn't take, he just immediately passed the bag. He didn't even reach into it. Well, there you go. I think he doesn't have faith. Well, I think it's like. It's it's one of those scenes that almost felt dutiful. And no one comments not, on it either, right? Like that's yeah, actually no one something that happens in the book. Well, which that's is that someone the thing says, that confused me. That's what I thought was weird. And so, but it's one of those scenes, and I think there's a lot of them here where it felt dutiful rather than necessary. It felt like uh, this is a scene from the book uh, and we're going to do it here. But there's really no... I don't know. It, it feels like it's there simply because it was in the book. I don't feel like it contributed anything. There was no, like you said, there's no line built around it. And mm. the the film's use of God uh, and and miracles is so scattered um, and one dimensional that a scene like that doesn't quite land because those themes are being played with so loosely. And I think similarly, the lack of nuance brought to that storyline. Uh, this is on my on my nightmares list. Is you know I think. It's so easy to remember in the flashback scene when the kid flies off the bike. But after that, when David is praying, this kind of like warm, heavenly light kind of surrounds him. And this sort of uh, very Christian, uh, you know, faith based drama music, this very piano-y sort of thing starts playing. And it's so easy, I think, to associate that directly with Christian entertainment, that sort of, you know, white light. And that piano, and he does that in the stand as well, especially like when um, when uh, uh, Nick comes back in in the dream that Tom Cullen is having. It's very much this white light, like he's in heaven now, and um, and it's to me such a one dimensional use of this of this Christian sort of imagery. Uh, Anna, what were you gonna say? Well, I didn't realize we could just go with our nightmares. We could just be like the God stuff, just being a nightmare. <laughs> oh. um, so we there's that. Up just as much as the movie did. Um, in this other scene that was total like Christian Broadcasting Network special event, it's going to make me angry like saying it. Mm-hmm. When they do the Lord's Prayer yeah, oh. and the camera does the, does the circling around with the kind of like overlapping images, it's just incredibly cheesy. It's like, yeah. it, and also the, there's, the, there's the other big problem that haunts the movie, which is that he's like, I think we should pray. And everyone's like, all right. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Yep. And let's do the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer, like, whatever. It's fine. But, yeah. like, a silent prayer might have been more appropriate for that particular moment because give us this day our daily bread in front of a haunted mind seems <laughs> There's, uh, like, beside the any... point. And then also the use of pie as, like, a way to tell David things is kind of a... Yeah. Well, they got rid of Audrey, right? And then they introduced the, the ghost of pie. Right. And she's just a memory and like he he sort of he's more there's a lot of mourning and grief of her in there. But yeah, using her as the sort of guiding presence is weird. And that ties me to I, I'm 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 not fully convinced that I didn't imagine this. So please tell me if this actually happened. <laughs> but at the end, <laughs> am I crazy sign. in that in that there was a picture of Tom Scarrett? And yes! Pie, yes, 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 yeah. yes. 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 What? And what? nobody yes. questions it. Nobody yes. questions it. And also, just why? If you're gonna, if you're gonna send the message, I'm in heaven with pie now. Like why? And all she calls it. Here's your school scrapbook, which is yeah. weird too. Like I don't, I didn't have a school scrapbook. Did anyone else have no. a school scrapbook? No. Um, so a yearbook, you, but you could yeah. do it in a, somehow 
not he's having visions already have a vision instead yeah. of like this weird concrete thing and everyone's like oh and then you're right like no like, one says anything they just right, look at it, it and they're like it's basically like the end of happy gilmore when he looks yeah. at heaven and like yeah abraham lincoln is waving, waving. yeah um, it would have been funnier if uh if you know he sees the picture of johnny and pie and he turns the page it's collie says they're with us now <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, and also, why and also is there's it... only one page in the book? Like, I was like, I wonder Bummer. what's going to happen if he turns the page. Like, is it going to yeah, be a whole I... like alternate life Anna, where like Tom Anna, Skerritt same and thing. I like are like doing stuff together? I was like, you have this enchanted book, like and he just looks. At, yeah, he looks <laughs> like, at one picture and then just closes. I was like, all right, flip through this a little bit. Let's see, maybe there's more here. But it's like, it's just so weird you know, because it's it's he's also taking like, her to the park. Yeah, to, like, have dinner. It's like a, some kind of you know. I'm thinking like almost like a falling in love montage. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Like drinking a milkshake with two straws. It's like, <laughs> so I was like, oh oh, the time traveler's wife. Yeah, it's just um, so strange because, and also it's like them. I can't remember where they are, but they're just they're, in like a. Where are they? They're just posing in front of like trees. Like yeah, in front of lot. trees. I'm like, is this not is parking this heaven? Like they're like in the street in front of a, a house. Yeah, I'm and, like, yeah. I'm like, what is the context of this photo? And <laughs> they're at the uh, Tucson Convention Center. <laughs> <Why not? Why laughs> there's hey. there's fire in the background. <laughs> they're at the Hemingford Home. Show them in heaven. Like I don't I know. know. Yeah. Just show <laughs> them standing on some clouds or something. <laughs> but and also, why isn't Ralph there? Why isn't Ellen there? They they That's matter right. too. Oh, well, good like why That's is Tom Scarrett just hanging out with Child. That would have been a good montage too. So then he turns the page, and then there's like Ralph. <laughs> Ralph's there, like, "Hello, we're here too. We'll see you soon." <laughs> see you soon. <laughs> I don't know. I I swear to God, I thought I had made this up when I was looking at my notes. I'm like, what? The made fuck? no sense. I actually also really kind of thought this kind of bothered me, but the, the, so the reason why they even see it is that Mary's like stop here and he says why and she says i think there's an overnight if no one stole it there's an overnight bag in the back seat mm-hmm. yeah and i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> okay why i yeah. guess she wants her toothbrush i need my toothbrush <laughs> okay her contact lenses fine but then like why would god put the book in the back seat of peter and mary's car Instead of the RV or something. Or somewhere or... that makes sense. Like, or yeah. just somewhere in front of them. I mean, nothing makes sense. And then, I, this is a sign of how bad a movie it is, is that after they get it, I was like, she has to, is she going to get an overnight bag? I got to see if she actually gets an overnight bag. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she does appear to be carrying something when she yeah. when they walk back, but they actually, it's not in the frame. Mm-hmm. Like, she's literally, her arm is extended as though carrying something. But you don't actually see the overnight bag, which I'm like, this is just a shitty movie. Like, <laughs> no one thought about anything. Like, the, and think- that's that's like the thing. Like, I wonder. I, I'm always fascinated by this. I I don't ask enough famous people when I interview them about what the experience is of being on a bad movie, because. Mm. To me, it was almost like. I mean, they probably didn't shoot everything in order, right? But um, do you just give up? At some point, like when you realize it's a shitty movie, like it was funny on a, I interviewed Tom Skerritt a year and a half ago and he's like 88 years old. Oh, yeah. So he was very honest. Oh, cool. Had I seen Desperation at some point when I realized how honest he was being, I'd probably been like, hey, between the two of us. No, not between the right? two of us. You must share. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, but this isn't, this isn't necessarily off the record, but Desperation, let's, let's hear about it. Um, uh, I will yeah, say when, when I, 
when I interviewed Tim Robbins, I asked him about uh, Howard the Duck, and mm. his response was so perfect because he just said they miscast the duck. <laughs> that was like <laughs> he's like that's how that that's when I knew we were in trouble was what he said, and that was so that's perfect. Uh, so yeah, I it's it's really bizarre. I think that whole ending, and it reminds me. I think a lot of these the Garris Garris really struggles with endings because I think he's very interested in happy endings, like very and very happy endings. So I remember the end of the Shining miniseries. I believe it's Danny graduating high school, and uh, he sees the ghost of his of his dad there at the high school graduation ceremony. And kissing, kissing. Kiss. That's what I've been missing. Yeah, it's awful. And then the end of the stand, we have the baby, and then Mother Abigail, like the floating head of Mother Abigail. <laughs> I know I actually never watched the last part of the last episode of The Stand because it was such a, a such a terrible experience in general. Oh, um, man. But I was going to say, what they should have had is the, is the ending of The Shining was like Danny graduating from college and then getting stinking drunk. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, for I you, dad. Like my dad, right? Yeah, I won't, I won't turn out like my dad. I'll have my oh, first man. drink. <laughs> yeah. Can you frame on his mother's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I just think in general um, – these endings always tend to these mini these King miniseries endings always tend to have these very very hallmarky uh, but really schlocky endings and it's just too bad because uh, I don't know I think it I think it, it taints all that came before. Um, any other? I'm trying. Well, I guess do we want to talk about the critics line at? Uh, well, I, let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. I, I can't believe scre- they so much advertise this to children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> am I crazy or does he say something about Ann Coulter? Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. says Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler as well. He says, he Donald says, Rumsfeld the f- demands you to stop. Adam Sandler demands you stop. And then, yeah, I think he says Ann Coulter yeah. demands you stop at one minute moment. Yeah. Oh, boy. So I wish if he, if he hadn't kept going with the, with the contemporary references after Rumsfeld, I think it would have been better. I did actually giggle a little bit at the Rumsfeld line. Sure. Cause you know, yeah. also I bet Johnny Marinville is a liberal dad. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so it's sort of in character. Like it's actually, I could, I could see him like conjuring up the name of some stupid authority figure that he doesn't like. And then right. saying it, but why say Adam Sandler? Like what's that your beef with Adam? No I, well, I hear, I I hear like Johnny Marinville is also a big fan of David Byrne when he collaborated with Brian Eno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Philip Glass as well. I can only yeah, assume it, that he didn't enjoy Mr. Deeds. <laughs> yeah, it's just like like who's the biggest actor right now? Yeah, let's let's just pick three people from pop culture of equal standing: Ann Coulter, Rumsfeld, and Adam Sandler. It's just bizarre. I'm, ima- I'm just imagining now Johnny Marinville in his giant leather jacket, sunglasses, <laughs> sitting in an empty theater watching Mr. Deeds, and being like, <laughs> "Yeah, this You're is right. total trash. This movie oh sucks." God, that's the problem with the jacket; is it's it's enormous. It's like, huge. It's, it's, <laughs> It's huge. It would it's like fit Stevie Collie. on Eastbound and Down trying to wear cool <laughs> cool clothing. Ron Perlman's like, just, well, the leather jacket he was going to use burned down in the Tucson Convention Center. So Ron Perlman's like, here, wear my leather jacket. Perlman. Here's my Hellboy jacket. <laughs> <laughs> what if it had a big Hellboy logo on the back? <laughs> what can I say? I was a real Hellboy back in the day. Um, I uh, guess you got some more stuff here. Yeah, bring it. Uh, yeah. Okay, Anna, you, you, were, you were pro this. I believe you mentioned at the beginning, but I was very much anti this. And it's the, wait a minute, Peter Jackson. I love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I thought, mean, what are we doing? See, what if he hadn't done doing? Peter, Paul, and Mary first. Yeah, true, true. I think yeah. that actually would have landed really well. And yeah. it did make me laugh a little bit because it is kind of, <laughs> it's a little more left field than, it's obviously a little more left field than Rumsfeld. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like a deep yeah. cut for someone like Holly. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's right. And I sort of like the idea, and it would have been more surprising, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, and that would have made it kind of scarier in a way too. Like when he does Peter, Paul, and Mary, I mean, they must get that. Sure. A thousand sure. times. That generation, yeah. Right? Like they probably get it when they would go to parties. I'm Peter, you know, whatever. Like it, it would be just like, why are, it'd be cliche to make that joke to them. But the Peter Jackson joke, I don't know. Like it was just it's a, it's a little more surprising and so I guess that's why I liked it. But you can't separate it out from the Peter Paul and Mary joke. Yeah. And the, yeah, it's the a, it's a bad movie. It's when he wrote Desperation <laughs> like Peter Jackson wasn't, you know, the name like by mm-hmm. the by 2006 he was an Oscar winner and he was everywhere. So I so, mean yeah. the Lord of the Rings had just wrapped or was, you know, recently. And so it was uh so I almost feel like he they felt compelled cuz he had a character named Peter Jackson to acknowledge well, in that it. In case I but... figured they would just change the name to like like Jerry. Jerry Jackson. <laughs> Jerry Jackson. <laughs> Michael. Um, I also know by Henry Thomas, Michael, Michael Jerry Jackson. Like, oh, Michael Jackson. I love the Dangerous album. <laughs> no, I just, like, with these two back to back, I just picture the writer's <laughs> room of Phil Jackson. I love yes. the bowls. <laughs> Get those rings. Repeat, Wait, repeat. What are you saying, oh, Flicker? Oh, God. It, no, it just, it feels like an improv game where it's like that, like, oh, uh, Peter, Peter, Puff the Magic Dragon, uh, 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 Peter Jackson, where they just keep subbing in like new jokes and going. And I wonder if in the writer's room, they're just like, well, we've got these two great jokes. Uh, <laughs> gotta, gotta keep them. Gotta put them both Wait, in. Yeah, like, kill your children. You gotta kill your Peter Jackson yeah, jokes. Seriously. Uh, cool. All right. Um, oh, any hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So, Justin, I think we need, Justin, can you give us a countdown? Just so we here's, know. Uh, here's the bullet point. Here's the bullet point. This has got more endings than The Return of the King, if you're talking about Peter Jackson. Um, the green glowing soap. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, the soap. Uh, yeah. We mentioned the triumph, the insult comic dog, fake mountain lion legs oh. swiping yes. at Steve. Yes. Um, <laughs> triumph. I guess, I guess God is sort of everything. That's what makes him God. Oh, thanks a lot, Dave. Um, <laughs> is that the actual quote? I yeah, guess it is. God I is. guess God wow, is what sort a, of everything. It, it's like, declarative statement. Enthusi- it's read with the same yeah, enthusiasm yeah. that Justin just said it. Yeah, I guess like, sort of. Like, well, uh, Guess it's time to go on with our lives. <laughs> um, I just want to say, I wish the movie had ended. You know, they do that. They show them driving away and it pans up. I wish Ron Perlman came back for this little... The, it, thanks for visiting. Tell your friends. I would have I would have given this an extra half star if, if we had gotten that that freaky ending. Oh, man. That would be so funny. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if, if King did something like that, too. Like, uh, that's so up his alley. Um, okay, that was your bullet points. It. All right, that's cool. Right, that's that was great. I loved it. Uh, now let's. Now that we are, so I think it's time to spook ourselves. We're going to go to a little place called the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery. Here in the cemetery, we talk about the things that scared our our little booties off, and man, we got a lot to discuss yep. here. I'm just if kidding. you thought the last section was long. Um, <laughs> Get ready. Oh, God. So no, I'll just say this: uh, that there's one thing I thought was effective, and it was right at the beginning. 
because one of the things that creeps me out in the book, and I think it is kind of the first big punchy scare that we get uh, in the book is when Kali's reading the, the rights to mm-hmm. Peter and Mary and he slips in, I'm going to kill you. I thought Perlman's delivery of that was perfect. Like it was in completely in line with the rest of the rights. It was peppered in in the middle. The way it was framed was good. And it was it was great because like the surprise on Peter and Mary's faces when they heard that it was I don't know. It was exactly how I envisioned it. And I thought it was a really effective moment right at the beginning. And so that was to me, if I have to pick one thing to unearth in the cemetery, that was a moment I thought was effectively creepy. So yeah, the pacing's off in the first 20 minutes, but there are some creepy parts with Perlman and the way he's filmed. Right. Yeah. And his delivery. I don't think he does a bad job at all. Yeah. And uh, that's it for me. <laughs> I would say, yeah. Perlman's great. <laughs> I, I would say I've been in cars that were riding dirty, and that's very scary when you get pulled over, knowing mm-hmm. that there are things in the car. Um, but they don't even whatever. know, right? No, but that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. like so the idea of like, you know, I've been with other passengers that I didn't know if necessarily they were carrying, mm-hmm. and the idea of a cop finding that much weed at the time is just terrifying, yeah. right? Yeah, because how do you talk your way out of that? Um, and then the fact that he plants it too on the motorcycle, um, I'm whenever you see like police plant drugs or anything, it again is very terrifying because how do you argue with the state, right? right? It's your word versus theirs in a lot of ways. So I think Johnny kind of is like immediately like, "You son of a bitch, you planted that." Like he knows <laughs> he's been around the block. But the other guys, you know, they they're like, "Well, it's my sister's car," and they're you can tell they're just like fumbling. So yeah, I thought the drugs in the car. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like sort of the the thing we realized with the book, too. Um, I mean, there's you know, we we overall really enjoyed the book, but I think it's like there's nothing scarier in the book. Like tack is not scarier than a cop that wants to fuck with you. You know, Mm -hmm. like that is that is probably the scariest thing. And they do. I think they do capture um, the impact of those scenes. Not horrible. I mean, it could be a lot better i think but i do think pearlman has fun with those moments and if there's anything in this miniseries that is in the cemetery it's that uh anna anything in the cemetery for you <laughs> that look, talking about it that look says everything uh i think i, it's I will time. say i think i, I said okay. it earlier i found the when david goes in down into the office mm. like that vaguely Creepy. I mean, I, yeah. I guess I'll agree with everyone about the f- opening scenes too. Although I wasn't as in love with them as y'all were. Um, I will say, well, love's again, a strong like, word. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't in like as in with like them. with them as, as y'all. Yes. Um, I will say again, like there are all these signs that it's not good. Like I had this on while I was cooking dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hey. And which is a good antidote to getting scared usually. Um, yeah. and mm-hmm. also says something about the level of gore too, like how yeah. minimal it is. Um, yeah. If you're eating during it, it's not doing its job. Yeah. I have one more scary part, um, which could have been cheesy. It walks the line, but when they show pie jumping rope outside the prison or the bars, it's actually filmed in reverse. Mm. So there's something slightly oh, unnatural yeah, okay. about it, which yeah. is a common trick in horror movies. But I just thought that was cool that McGarris was like, yeah, this will just give it a little bit of a, otherworldly you know, quality. Yeah, something just a little bit different. So. Yeah. Yeah, I actually do remember scary. that being like a neat little visual. I just wish he didn't cast her in such like bright white light, yeah. you know? Look and at the, this creepy that, kid. That's a stupid yeah. outfit. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what child Agreed. in the in mid-2000s would be wearing like a pinafore? Right. Like, wow. You're like the college... <laughs> 
I will say, like police. <laughs> Randall, I'm surprised that you haven't mentioned this yet. Uh, weren't you disturbed at the multiple dead dogs in this production? Uh, you, you get so freaked out by this stuff. I will say, I absolutely fast forwarded the scene when he shoots the dog <laughs> because, and I was mad. But even like I the was, first shot of the movie is that cat. I know. To those you sides. can barely recognize it as a cat, though. Like that's I've, true. Um, I'm, look- I'm, I'm almost as bad as as Michael is about. Um, Randall, sorry, whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> about um, dead animals or dying animals, house pet, house pets. Yeah, yeah. I will say I, that's one reason I was. I like. I think I yelled to my wife. I was like, "They replaced the wolf with a dog." <laughs> I was not <laughs> oh, happy <God>. about that. <laughs> so yeah, I will say I was not happy with that. But at the same time, it's not necessarily. Uh, it's. It wasn't like Greg Stilson kicking a dog to death. It was kind of just, you know, pretty corny shit. So, um, yeah, let's move on to a little section we call Pound Cake. After all you've been taught, everyone in Bad Mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Here in Pound Cake, we talk about the sexiest stuff in King's Book. <laughs> Just kidding. We talk about this stuff that made us laugh in perhaps ways that were not intended. Uh, and we've already discussed a lot of that. Probably won't spend much time consuming Pound Cake. But I will say uh, the Cynthia uh, Steve kiss uh, that was mm. propelled by uh, the Kanta to- totems. Uh, I will say... I think there might have been some real attraction between those actors on set because things got steamy. I was going to tell a joke to, to tell everybody here that I did some research and that they that's where they met and they actually got married in real life. And I was going to drop the no, I'm just kidding bomb. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I think. And once again, I feel making Steven Weber, making the Steve Ames character younger. Mm hmm. It makes us, you know, a little less creepy, even though obviously they're being possessed to have sex with each other. I mean, that's not necessarily <laughs> a good thing. But um, uh, yeah, there's some chemistry popping. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I've said this before. I mean, I remain convinced that Stephen King is remained stubbornly incurious about female anatomy. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. Cause I forgot about that. <laughs> I think I just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like as if she would come before he would in that situation too. He's like, well, I didn't feel anything. And also we, that he wouldn't he say, also like, first. like who, yeah. who is it easier like, for? To, just to, just yeah. off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, I think I need a equal new opportunity. And then I also, no idea. I would say that would be a great opportunity to show and not tell. And I don't mean like when right. Harry met Sally level like thing, but a little like, oh, like would be <laughs> grip the table. You know, you know? yeah, like to, to the, the whole like I think I just is a little. What one I cannot imagine saying that to mm-hmm. someone who I probably feel pretty uncomfortable having just kissed. Like mm-hmm. so you, the, well, anyway, I, I, yeah, Mar- Mary's like, I'll have what totem she's had. <laughs> I, like, I think it was more like, uh, don't call me cookie. And I won't tell you when I climax. <laughs> well, one departure from the book and this is the book. It's a lot more of like violent sex. That yeah. They're fantasizing. Mm, it's, yeah. it's gets very primal and like, they want to like oh, I'm happy not to have that come in, actually. Like, yeah. yeah, no, but I just think that was scarier though in the book, whereas this was more of a it looked, you know, I don't know, more loving, I guess. Oh, you know what also is different down. from the book is that they don't have like. I mean, I think Sheaves wants to take it at first, or he wants to take it, but in the yeah, book, there is a more subtle thing that is creepy, which is that they have trouble kind of leaving it. Like, it's more like, well, I kind of want to. 
take this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, it's very magnetic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They really dial that down in the movie altogether. I feel like they, those, those artifacts don't play as big a part at all. Yeah. And that, I think they're a After really effective part of the book. So it's kind of a bummer that that happens. One of the things in the book that I really love is when Johnny enters the layer of tack at the end, um, there's like tons of those just piled up everywhere and they all have different faces that are really creepy. And here like tack has like an honest to God layer with like a stone entrance and everything, which I thought was kind of neat. You know, it like gave it some, some weight, but uh, I don't know. I miss that sort of the all consuming, like Kanta like assault and all of them having these different leering faces. Uh, I remember, I always remember the, one of them was described as uh, having a, like a baby face <laughs> that was like gnomish. And um, yeah. I don't know, I find mm. that very unnerving. Um, so yeah. Leland Gaunt. I, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know why they, if you're going to build an elaborate set like that for Tox Lair, why have them say goodbye to Johnny outside the mine? Why not have them go into the mine? Just because it's a more interesting visual to have everyone look around, maybe see some of the totems. But instead, I feel like he went in there, they built this set and he was only there for like, Two minutes before going down the well. Well, it's probably because it burned down. <laughs> I bet you that's probably that could be. Yeah, the Tucson Convention right. Center. I like the idea of them filming like uh, an evil god's lair inside the Tucson Convention yeah, Center. Yeah, there's like an escalator for three floors. Behind <laughs> and you can just see it in the background. People with briefcases, um, people with badges, lanyards, like lanyards. <laughs> I'm here for the conference. We're filming. Go away. Um, Are you Tom Skerritt? Are you too? <laughs> Tom Skerritt? <laughs> yeah, I'm here for Southwest by Southwest. Hey, yeah. I love you in China Lake. I love you in China Lake murders. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. Let's pop over to, let's walk off these calories with the pound cake in a place we call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Here in King's Dominion, we talk about the connection to other Stephen King works. Um, Got one big one, which we already mentioned, which was Red Rum, um, the Shining reference. Uh, David sees Red Rum God or, you know, Murder Dog or whatever on the wall. That means Murder Dog. (laughs) <laughs> as he says. Have we all seen Troll 2? Wouldn't a 13-year-old at that point, by the way, have seen Shining, The Shining? I would hope so. Yeah. You would think King loves to reverence his own work, but I, I did think of uh, in Troll 2 when he's like, Nilbog, that's Goblin spelled backwards. Um, so, so yeah. One of his kids saw the Cortland Mead Shining. <laughs> and he was like, that kid sucked. Um, so. I could do better than that. <laughs> um, I will say, I not enough note. I, I would say if I have to rank Cortland Mead and, uh, and, and Shane Kabucha. <laughs> I got. I gotta go. Poor guy. I'm still putting Shane above Cortland. Hundred um, percent agreed. So, because Cortland Mead, man, he just fucking sucks in the Shining. <laughs> I'm I mean, so sorry. I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen thousands of movies, but Cortland Mead just easily the sucks worst performance. The that I've I like ever the idea seen. of you just bringing it up every episode. Just <laughs> yeah. I definitely brought it up more than talking I about Rose Matter and the themes in Rose Matter. But first of all, Cortland Mead. You know, I think about Let's sometimes about if Cortland Mead was in this and how much he would fucking just drag it down. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, let's talk no, this about... This is actually the most fun I've had in any episode. Yeah. I would love to see them do Desperation Now with Cortland Mead as Steve Ames with the thumb rings. Ooh. But he was a roadie for like My Chemical Romance back oh in the early or something. He's all goth. He's got like black lipstick on his thumb rings um, again like that, that remains consistent i love it he does have i'm looking him up now he does have gauged ears um oh, gauge ah, like gauge green gauge green has gauged ears um 
So we also get a Dean Koontz reference, which I'm going to put yeah. in King's Dominion. Uh, okay. Very, very cheeky little joke Cynthia makes. She mostly reads Koontz, she says, uh, inching us ever closer to the Koontz cast, which we will be starting sometime mm-hmm. in the next uh, five years. So any other King's Dominion that you all noticed? Yeah, Johnny says God Bomb, which I know is, I think it's actually referenced later on in the Dark Tower. That's an AA oh, really? thing, by the uh, way. Mm. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's an AA well, lingo thing. Because no. they constantly use it in... You know, it's funny. It makes sense because I believe it's Father Callahan that, that uses it a lot in Song of Susanna. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Or Wolves of Kala. So Talk that about sense. it. It's like a thing like it's... Yeah. Obviously, you know You come to Jesus is, moment or whatever. But, yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. Hey, guys. Did you notice that Kanta Kanta is like a thing in, in Stephen King's universe? Like the whole... Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, an exact line from Misery, which is, I'm your number one fan. Ah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, I think they also say the word ka, independent of kanta and and, and uh, kantak and stuff. So maybe that's more of a dark Oh, I thing. know. Um, uh, Tom Billingsley says, I think it's a, what does he say? I think it's a um, earth spirit. I believe Kings used that before. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, yeah, he says, like, I think it's, I can't remember the, the, the word. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I remember the moment you're referencing, and I think you're correct. Um, yeah, uh, so some fun stuff there. Uh, <laughs> real fun. Real fun stuff. <laughs> and then obviously... <laughs> uh, obviously, the picture the picture of Tom Skerritt and Pie is also something oh. that we see in the Tommyknockers. Um, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to bring that up again. Um, let's move on to yeah, our picture. F- I'm sorry. I, just- <laughs> I know it's so bad. <laughs> I, I think I still have it available. I'm, I got to take a screenshot of it and post yeah, it. Yeah, I need, I'll do I need it. a new That's going to be my wallpaper. Need. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Please bring it up in the future. We would love to not forget that. Um, I think it is it is our enduring takeaway of this mini series will be that that uh, bizarre decision. Um, anything else before we move on from King's Dominion? I mean, they asked seventy three year old Tom Scare to like hunker down on his knees to take a photo with this little girl. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm forty. I got some knee issues, you know. Seventy three. You're asking a lot for this shot, Mick. Well, it's also just like, well, I, mean, I guess already it's taken, if people haven't seen it, they need to know. It's like the cheesiest fucking picture. It like, I, I'm going to take just, a shot of this It's thing. like, he's, he's, they're both dressed up. I guess yeah. in my well, heaven, going to you get to wear sweats. That's actually, <laughs> yeah. you know. They're probably going to church. Yeah. In heaven, you got to go to church. Um, hey, why not? You well, I will say Justo is collecting um, basically in uh, various movies when they've clearly like you see a photo of a family and they've clearly photoshopped it together. They're they're always like really bad. And Justo has been collecting uh, some versions of those that are very good. So this one might be able to be added. That might I, be in my that might be in, you can add that to David's scrapbook. Yeah, David's <laughs> scrapbook. You can put them yeah. all in there. Uh, cool. OK, let's rank this shit. Uh, uh, with Pennywise Clown Noses. Our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Here in Final Thoughts, we share our final thoughts on this miniseries, Desperation. We're going to rank it on a scale of one to five bright red Pennywise clown noses. I'll kick us off. I'm going to give this uh, two bright red Pennywise clown noses and one is wholly for the photo of Tom Skerritt and Pie at the end. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, I think this is a pretty 
pretty uh, rough watch. I think, again, Ron Perlman, good, inspired casting. I remember thinking that at the time as well. Uh, and, you know, and that's the thing is it actually does have a pretty strong cast. I mean, you've got Tom Skerritt, um, Annabeth Gish, you've got uh, Charles Durning, like these are, and Stephen Weber, like these are people that I enjoy watching on screen. Unfortunately, uh, this is just, there's not a steady hand guiding this thing. Uh, it's it's too corny. It's too cheesy. Uh, the the gore doesn't, li- doesn't uh, live up to what's promised in the book. And then the, the obvious uh, sort of dilution of the themes of, of the spiritual themes, uh, which I think are really important to appreciating desperation are really watered down here and, and kind of construed in a different way than the book. So very disappointing in a lot of ways, but as we've demonstrated on this episode, a fun thing to watch with friends and discuss with friends. So I'm going to give it one or two bright red Pennywise clown noses. And uh, my MVP was, we're also going to do MVPs. I got to give it to my man, Shane, because at least he showed up Portland <laughs> Mead and the, child actor low hanging fruit i mean (laughs) uh, yeah it's true uh justo what is your bright red pennywise clown nose ranking look i feel guilty enough about uh extending the nightmares and dreamscapes portion by at least 20 minutes so i'll keep this nice (laughs) short and sweet pretty much everything randall said i do still think ron perlman's a lot of fun in this movie and i give it i give it two bright red pennywise clown noses solely for ron perlman and again in total sympathy with tom scarrett's knees you know, <laughs> uh, MVP you, you for you. for it. Ron Perlman for me yeah. is the MVP. Nice. Uh, Anna, what is your bright red Pennywise clown nose ranking and MVP? Man, y'all are grading on a curve. You really <laughs> <laughs> I'm being sweeter than usual. Um, it's true. You know, like when you said you were going to give it an, an extra nose just for the <laughs> shot of pie <laughs> and uh, Tom Scarrett, that that would raise mine to two if I did that. Um, I think you should do it. I see. I don't know <laughs> if you get points if you get points for a thing that's completely unintentional. I mean, Anna, I've got the Wikipedia entry up. I'm going to add your name. He says <laughs> two stars actually. Because here's the thing: I actually read this in one of the reviews I was reading about this, which is that every it said something like every Stephen King fan should see every Stephen King adaptation at least once, nope. even if it's bad. Mm. And I I kind of agree with that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. But in your, if you're if you're like us, if you're listening to this fucking podcast, you will enjoy this movie on some level. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. You true. know, like you may want to do it with some friends over, and not you know, have that be the only thing you're doing. Although, <laughs> when it gets to the end, you got to watch that real carefully because there's a picture. <laughs> goes by really fast. But there's a picture Don't miss of it. Tom Scarrett and Pie. It makes more sense. <laughs> anyway. I, I can't give it more than one. Like, I just, I feel like. You're not going to hear any negative. Yeah. I mean, this. I wish I could do more. I really yeah. do. Get but... ready for the Twitter army. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the desperation trolls. <laughs> release, release the Garrus cut. <laughs> the Russian bots are going to come for you. Uh, yeah. I actually, you know, did y'all do, did I did a, we did an episode about the, about the um, Snyder cut on my other podcast, actually. Mm. Um, which I wound up actually weirdly liking. That's good. More than this. Um, to be fair, I, I would agree. Uh, yeah. I would, I would this agree is there. definitely like, I feel bad that I had to pay for it twice. Um, <laughs> I hope Shane got some of that residual money because he deserves oh, it. Unlike- he's sharing it with <laughs> Stacy's mom. Uh, and who's your MVP? Tom Scarrett's knees. 
Tom Skerritt's knees <laughs> getting hey, that low. Hey. 73, still bending down and taking pictures. Uh, Dan Flager, what is your bright red Pennywise clown nose ranking and your MVP? Um, so I would say I've definitely seen worse movies than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't go as low as a one. Curve, curve. I know, I know. I'm, I, I don't grade anything perfect or zero. That's uh-huh. the way I am. But um, <laughs> it's established in the most recent Oh, wow. <laughs> but <clears throat> I will say the first 20 or 30 minutes I thought were interesting. As I was rewatching it, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe this is good. And then as it got past that, I was like, no, nope, I'm having the same feeling as the first time I watched it where I'm losing interest very quickly. I like Ron Perlman in it. If I had to pick an MVP, I would probably say Nicholas Pike for the soundtrack. Nice. Um, Congratulations, Mr. Pike. Yeah, 1.5 bright red Pennywise cloud noses. Nice. I think that puts us where? Like 1.7 or something? uh, 1.63. 1.63. Awesome. Well, that's a a ringing endorsement of Stephen King's Desperation as aired on ABC in 2006. Uh, Thank you so much for this journey. This has been a blast uh, discussing this miniseries. We're going to be back with um, a lot of fun episodes on the way. So stay tuned for that. And uh, where can we find you, Anna? Uh, I have a podcast that is just as funny as this and awesome and has sparkling conversations and I don't I could explain it in a sentence if I wanted to but it's called with friends like these um and it is on the crooked media network mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I also have a podcast that we referenced uh earlier called Space the Nation in which uh, Dan Dresner, professor of international relations at Tufts University, and myself um, review various sci-fi and genre movies with a political lens, but not like in a serious mm. way. Nice. So Very cool. Justo, where can we find you? You can find me over at the Halloweenies podcast. We're covering Scream and Scream adjacent movies this year. We're having a lot of fun. I think we just released a Howling episode uh, this past week. Of course, if you're listening to this episode five years from now, <laughs> you know, I, I, you should listen to our Howling episode. And uh, yeah, I'm over here, obviously, at the Losers Club a lot now this year. So I'm happy to be back. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Dan, where can we find you? Uh, I'll probably be on my couch because I have 24 hours left on my desperation rental. <laughs> so <laughs> just firing that back over up. and over. Um, I definitely am going to fast forward to the final scene just because I do want to stare at that image again. Will you please screenshot um, it so we I'm can gonna, post I'm, it? I'm, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> right when this is over with, once I export my GarageBand file, I'm going right to my rental and taking a nice HD shot. <laughs> Hell that yeah. Photo. Yeah, mine uh, uh, yeah, mine you can find me at Losers so. Club. And- you should tweet that out. I'll, I mean, I I'm almost want to. you to tweet it with no... <laughs> I'm going, no no I'm going to. I'm absolutely going to. Don't worry. Just see if anyone knows no what context, it is. And I'm also going to tweet it. No context. Cool. All right. Well, we'll be back at the Losers Club. If you want more content like this, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Barons. We've got all kinds of fun uh, content for you, including just recently we dropped an interview with Fraser Heston, son of Charlton Heston and director of 1993's Needful Things. He shares with us lots of fun stories about uh, the making of that movie. And he is just so charming. I want to hang out on his mountaintop chalet uh, and sip red wine with him as the snow falls around us. So let's sign off with a long days. Long days. And a pleasant 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 night. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.